All right, Quentin, we're back, and uh, this week we are Trippy Red Hook. Um, before we start, I usually ask you how you're doing. I forgot to do that right now because I said let's just get going, kind of, because we were already talking about wrestling. So, Quentin, how you doing? How you been? Uh, what's up? Oh, no, I'm good, man. Uh, like, I said, like I said, talked about before, just doing a lot of year-end stuff and planning out some stuff for Psychology is Dead, kind of, like, uh, planning to have Psychology is Dead more active in 2022, so... Just been planning out, just been planning out some stuff for that. Uh, other than wrestling watching, I was reading Wretched of the Earth by uh, Franz Fanon earlier, so that's that's been uh, all I've had going on for the uh, for the last uh, couple of days. So unless you want to really get into settler colonialism tonight, then <laughs> then uh, uh, I mean shit. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just what did I just hear something? Anyways, I'm not gonna get into this. I heard something recently where someone was talking about like. Uh, colonialism actually doing a better job of uh, of growing uh, GDP of countries in small areas than capitalism did, uh, including <laughs> the like, fuck uh, does like that India. Mean? <laughs> well, okay, well, India India's GDP was better when they were uh, colonially 
uh, occupied by Britain. And then afterwards, once India, like, theoretically was its own country and was, like, just a capitalist country, their GDP, like, went into the fucking toilet and everyone was poor. And it was just, like, kind of an argument basically showing that, like, you know, capitalists, people who are pro-capitalism try to, like, like point to China and say, like, oh, the reason why they've grown so quickly in the past couple decades is because of them allowing capitalism when that's clearly untrue. And it's actually because of, like, protectionism, socialism, and, uh, you know, a strong... Or if we're going to use a former colony as an example, it's the same thing as underdeveloping Africa. And when you take away sure. that kind of system that, you know, like, you colonized, pillaged, and had unfair had unfair trades and took things without giving without giving adequate resources back that when when that's gone yeah like a country is gonna have a hard time like being self-sustaining exactly. at some point yeah exactly exactly it's just it's just a, a way to point out it's like a counter argument for people who try to point the, to like capitalism as being like a driving force for like uh you know gdp and for prosperity in a country when it's like it's been it's you can actually you could fudge the numbers if you wanted to and obviously it's it's super nearsighted because you're like completely overlooking like you just said the uh the the kind of depletion of cellular colonialism but these countries that are like colonial uh empire or colonial like uh whatever you'd call it i can't even think of the word but uh but, but countries that are being colonized by larger uh countries are like they do better you know, on the books than they do once they're, uh, you know, left to the free market. You know, it's just, it's just, again, it's, it's a pointless argument just to like score, to dunk points on a, on a capitalist. Like, how are we going to pay for it when you tell your uncle that uh, we need like free healthcare or whatever? Uh, how are you Tim? <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. I'm just trying to figure out how I'm going to pay for it. No, uh, work is kicking my ass. I've been doing like uh, 10, 12 hour days all week because we moved and uh, it's been a fucking nightmare, but uh, just getting things figured out now. Hopefully tomorrow will be smooth. I can have an all right weekend and then we'll start uh, next week looking good. But uh, otherwise, I uh, I caught last minute before we started. You know, when I went back and I ran back and I had to check out uh, the, the namesake of this episode, uh, Hook's debut match. And uh, I mean, I don't know why they had him wrestle Fuego del Sol, especially on Dynamite. But uh, it was, it was this man fucking rules. Oh, oh yes, yes, yes. On Rampage, uh, having him wrestle Fuego del Sol on Rampage. I guess I guess Fuego del Sol gets some TV spots, but uh, Hook fucking owns. I saw so much of Taz of early Taz in him. I think that you know because he's in a different rapper because he doesn't look like Taz. He did he did he did, he did a, he did a lot of Taz like spots, and there were a lot of like like if you remember like the debut of Taz and ECW when he got repackaged or whatever. He did a lot. He did a lot of similar stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and even the Angry Man clothesline I loved. I popped for that huge because I'm like, hell yeah, that's like some some classic Taz shit that people don't uh, even think of when they think of you know the human suplex machine. So I was just like, hell yeah, like he definitely reminds me a lot of Taz, and I love even Taz on commentary kind of giving him the same uh, gimmick of, as himself, saying he don't he don't really like a lot of people, and it was like that's the shit that uh, that they would say about Taz, you know, the most miserable man. In a, in the world, and uh, it's the most miserable son in the I, world. I'm, I guess, I'm but... hoping that uh, it all leads to like Hook's first words being like being like a real calm survive if I let you. I hope I hope, I hope, yeah, there's, exactly. I hope there's what we're leading to. Uh, no, nah, Fuego del Sol was a great pick for this, and like Hook obviously looked great, but Fuego's a guy that bumps like crazy, can sell like crazy, and can get ragdolled around for like a physically imposing guy like Hook. Even if Hook isn't super tall, like. He look, he's chiseled. He has a great look to him, and Fuego del Sol 
has some cachet with the AEW audience, not a ton. Like, he's gotten spots with Miro. He has an on-screen relationship with Sammy Guevara, like, being really close friends. So, I think Fuego was a good choice here. Like, eventually, it's someone like Matt Seidel, like, an optimal choice to, like, have, uh, to have Hook do the same stuff to. Yeah, probably, but, like, for right this second and, like, his first match, Fuego was a good choice, and Fuego was really good in this, and Fuego did exactly what he was supposed to do, and Hook looked spectacular. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I was gonna say he's a BTE guy, but but Fuego's more of a uh, Nightmare Family guy, right? He's like he's kind of part of the Rhodes clique, and then that includes uh, Sammy Guevara, because I know he's on Sammy Guevara vlogs and stuff like that, and uh, and he's part of the like kind of that school, the Nightmare family or whatever. So yeah, he definitely has a cachet with that kind of a section of the AEW fan base. So it is probably the perfect guy to have someone like hook steamroll because those fans, you know, those are the most earnest AEW fans. You know what I mean? The, the kind of the, the Cody fan, the Cody section, the, the people who are looking for like roads to the top kind of AEW are definitely, uh, not necessarily the ones are the ones who are going to give the right reaction to someone like hook beating the shit out of one of their boys. Have you watched, have you watched roast to the top? No, I have not. Do you have some uh, some reports on this? Oh no, just like in a little bit of in a little bit I saw before I turned my TV off immediately and threw on some random NBA game. Yeah, Cody and and Brandy aren't real people. You, you, yeah, no, exactly. You, you can't you can't convince me that they are not AI, and that yeah. <laughs> that, that that their child is an artificial creation. Yeah, no, no, that is uh, that sounds about correct. Um, AEW is going to be a focus somewhat this week, um, as we are going to talk about, uh, ratings, winter is coming. Oh, ratings. Yes. Ratings, ratings, ratings. (laughs) all ratings all the time. Uh, Quentin, did you watch NXT from last night at all? Uh, yeah, no, no, I haven't watched NXT in forever. Okay. Do you know who, uh, Parker Bordeaux is Harlan? Uh, all I know, all I know is that he has friends with west guide west side gun for some reason oh nice okay he is uh, joe gacy's muscle he is let's say i think he's a college probably florida college i don't know for sure football player guy and his claim to fame the reason why i knew him the reason why he got on my radar a couple years ago even while he was still playing college football is that uh he claimed on twitter and in other places enough and i don't know if this was a a gimmick or if he was working an angle or if he legitimately believes this but he claims that he is the illegitimate half brother of brock lesnar oh Um, oh oh okay yeah i I remember that on twitter i remember that yes i didn't i didn't think that that, i didn't yeah that one that one i wouldn't have realized that that wouldn't have crossed my mind at all yeah i didn't know that was him Yes, yeah, so he is now Harlan. He's Joe G- Chainsaw Joe Gacy's uh, muscle on NXT, and uh, and they shaved his head, and he doesn't look the same. But when he was on Twitter, he would post a lot of stuff where he was intentionally looking like young Brock, and yeah, he was trying to be yeah, like now, Brock and all yeah, this. Yeah, now I'm thinking, now I'm thinking about his face. I'm remembering him like with like the with like the bleach blonde hair or whatever. Like, I'm yeah, like, okay, yeah, the big big square head, uh, and uh, and. Um, this week on NXT TV, I did not watch it, but I heard the report that he uh, he had his debut. He absolutely murdered someone, and then post match, you know what he did? What did Is he, do? he threw Brian Kendrick down a? Oh, a I saw I saw that gif. I saw that gif. Right, which is just like Brock Lesnar when the, he threw Zach Gowan down the fucking <laughs> stairs. 
this motherfucker is still working the Brock Lesnar angle in NXT. I was like, when I heard about that, I was like, I cannot believe nobody else is mentioning this. That this guy who used to claim to be the illegitimate half-brother of Brock Lesnar is, like, doing Brock Lesnar fucking storylines in NXT right now. I think it's, but, like, uh, but it's, yeah. easy to not, it's easy to forget that that's the same guy because he has the shaved head now. So, like, like I said, yeah, like, you know, like, you know me, like, for a while, like, I haven't kept up with it as much lately, but, like, you know how long I keep up with developmental, like, like pretty intently, like for the for the most part, I didn't even I didn't even realize that was him. Yeah, yeah, no, he looks completely different. When I first saw him, I was like, "Who the fuck is this guy?" And then eventually, I looked it up and I was like, "Oh shit, it's my boy!" Because I fo- I was already following him on Twitter. He was like <laughs> Team Follow Back, dude. He follows everyone. Oh like, if yeah. If you follow him on Twitter, he he just follows you back. He's a, he's a cool dude. I I like his vibe. I dig the energy. You know, he's probably dumb as shit, and if he ever leaves WWE, I'm sure he'll start controlling or, or freeing his own narrative with the EC3, but uh, we'll talk about that later. Um, either way, I just wanted to call that out for wins- for the Wednesday Night Wars. That's our NXT uh, representation, um, even though I guess they're on Tuesdays now. Anyways. Yeah, Tuesday. Win- winter is coming, and we open up with the big match, the main event, Brian Danielson versus Adam Page. I had some thoughts, but really some big picture thoughts. But uh, do you want to break down the match itself to kind of talk about that? Or, or or you could talk about big picture, whatever you think. I mean, like, I mean, the match itself is a hour's worth of wrestling. So I don't think we both want to sit there, like, at least on, like on this show and talk about like a wrestling match that went on, that went on for an hour when we also have all those other stuff to talk about. But it's a, it was a, it was a phenomenal match. It might be my match of the year i'm not exactly sure it's really neck and neck between this and the uh brian daniels and kenny omega match from arthur ash but while the omega brian match is a bigger match as a culmination of things and it feels bigger i think if this is a uh, this is a better brian performance and i think that hangman is better than better in this match than kenny was in his match a lot of the praise is going to go to Brian Danielson, which it rightfully should because he's the best wrestler of all time and the best wrestler in the world still. And he turned in, I threw this out there in the infamous Slack chat and I said, I think that this is the best 45 minute plus Brian Danielson match. And we know, we know him and we know that ROH used to be a playground for Brian Danielson to go out there and have, 80 something minute matches with Austin Aries and we've seen him go hour minute draws hour uh, hour draws before but I feel like this might be his best match going in, going into those deeper waters but I feel like this is a phenomenal hangman performance and it's going to get overshadowed and I understand why but hangman came into this match having to answer a lot of questions a lot of people seem to like the Kenny match me and you weren't particularly fond of it Hangman wasn't on TV during the build, and I didn't have an issue with that, but some people viewed it as Hangman looking weak or not doing much to build him up going into the title match. And once the bell rung, Hangman sold his ass off from beginning to end, whether it was his arm, his midsection, the blood loss, whatever. Hangman sold his ass off during this entire match where he barely got any offense in for the first 25, for the first 25, 30 or so minutes. And every time he got momentum, he got cut off and led to him selling in a, in a really, in a really big way. And I said that this reminded me of like the best possible flair versus sting match. And I wasn't even aware of like, 
Ric Flair having like some weird comments about Brian Danielson earlier in the day or whatever <laughs> that like that came that came out. But it reminded me of like the best possible version of a Flair Sting match. And I thought I thought Hangman I thought Hangman was great in it. I thought that, that was like realizing like a potential in him that we haven't gotten to see consistently in AEW, especially as a singles guy. And my main my main takeaway is like when you do a draw, you're obviously setting something up and you're setting it up to return to it that I'm really, really interested and really intrigued to see how the match goes when they return to it because they have phenomenal chemistry. They told a really good story. And Brian's performance is one for the books and one of his best ever and one of the best of the year. But I think Hangman deserves a lot of credit and I haven't seen him get that, but he was phenomenal in this and like people I've seen, there's been a bunch of comparisons to Hangman and I think that people that watch AEW and that are familiar with him going back to whatever your first introduction to Hangman was like with Ring of Honor, PWX, CWF, we still don't really know exactly what Hangman Page is. And at least for last night, he felt like a really, really good version of Sting, like a modern version of Sting. And it hasn't been consistent, but if he can tap into that, then I feel like he can be what Sting, you know, could have been. And like, obviously we know like the Crows thing became this big star, but you know, he felt like Sting if he didn't get the entire weight of a company dropped on him that was in the red. And he's like, oh, here you go. You got to go figure this out. You got to go figure this out, kid. Thanks. If a Sting was able to just go out there and develop and be one of the guys and not not have to be the guy that was relied relied on hangman has that kind of energy to me and people have compared brian danielson to flair at ad nauseum the last 10 years or so even going back further probably and this this was him turning in like a incredible performance in a 60 minute draw yeah danielson here one thing that crossed my mind here is that danielson is a. Uh... He's working the opposite Walter gimmick um, where Walter would like bruise up and, and bluster all of his opponent's chests and Danielson, he gets his chest bruised up and blustered in every match. And, uh, and I kind of love it. I love it as the counter for the way that that became so stale with Walter that like Danielson turns it on its head and made it fresh. Um, but that's just like a very niche, stupid little gripe thing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Danielson, when it comes to working everything, everything, Every part of wrestling, I've talked about this a ton already, you know, we're building to it. The point is that Brian Danielson is the greatest wrestler of all time. I think we've said it enough. I think it's in, you know, it's it's been put on YouTube. It's, uh, it's everywhere in lights. Everyone knows this. I've talked about it. But the man right now, uh, I can understand if you, there are particular, particular niches particular perverts who can understand like brian danielson doesn't hit the the right quadrants for them like you know if you're like this like insane like high spot athleticism kind of freak danielson is not putting that on full display he has in the past and i believe that he probably still could tear it up at that level if you really wanted to see it you know and then there's like if you're like really into mma 
like based like you know athletic sport based wrestling you want everything to seem super legitimate and real danielson is not quite there as he has been in the past another thing that i can point to and say well he's proven that he can do that better than anybody in the world he's just kind of not doing that right now then i could see why you would say okay yeah he's not you know he's not the best in the world right now or whatever because you're super obsessed with that style of wrestling you know, if you're into high spots and athleticism, if you're into like super realistic, like sport style wrestling, you know, but the where Danielson is the greatest and the best wrestler in the world to me is the purest sense of wrestling, the work, working, being thoughtful, as you talked about, and getting the most out of everything possible. And when I talk about working everything, I even mean details like the corner stuff. He's repeatedly working to the corner camera. Like, this is the fucking high level. Like, you have to spend, you know, two years in NXT to uh, to learn where the cameras are. This guy is out there, and he works to the corner cams. He works, he works like, strategic crowd work spots during the picture-in-picture segments of the match. The jumping jacks during the picture-in-picture segment and the middle finger, it's just the most intrigued that I've ever been during a picture in picture segment. And that just goes to show, like I said, that Danielson is the consummate worker because I talked about it. I fucking download these shows illegally. I watch them on my computer, uh, you know, video on demand. I'm not watching this shit live. And I still leave the picture in picture on. And I still always pay attention more to the advertisement than I do the wrestling because it just, it works like the picture in picture makes me not pay attention to the wrestling, even though, I don't have to watch it. I could skip through it. I could, you know, I could, I could know that I don't give a shit. I just want to watch the wrestling. And the only time that anyone has ever pulled it off th- this well is Brian Dangerson in this match, where during the picture in picture, I was actually paying attention to him because he was doing something that was that interesting. Because doing jumping jacks, mocking the crowd for chanting yes, and giving the crowd the finger was like, it felt like it was a peek behind the curtain. It felt like what the point of the picture in picture is supposed to be. Which is that you feel like you're you're getting like a little sneaky, a cheeky peek that you're not supposed to see. As we're on, we're actually on commercial break, so this stuff is not really happening on TV. But oh, Danielson, he knows exactly how to fucking play that shit and get you intrigued. Where you're just like, oh my god, we're kind of we're not supposed to be watching this. This is supposed to just be for the crowd, you know? Cause, because he has been a heel, but giving the finger to the crowd, that's pretty fucking heel, you know? Like that's intense for a heel that's beyond the pale for the level of heel that he's been he's been aggressive he's been violent he's been mean but he hasn't been like kind of cheap heat giving the finger to the crowd so i was just like god damn it this guy is so fucking good like danielson is the most amazing professional wrestler in the world i don't know where he's at physically i in my mind and this is like the crusher you like you know people have talked about like the crusher uh you know that he was such a top draw even into his like 60s because like, he couldn't, he was physically shot, but the crowd bought into him. Or, like, you know, the original Sheik, where, like, the guy would be just so over. And you, if you watch the tapes of it, you're like, this guy can barely fucking move. You know, but you, but the crowd bought into it. And the crowd, Danielson is the first wrestler that I've contemporarily had that feeling. In my head, Brian Danielson right now can still do everything that he's ever done. I don't believe that he's lost even a, a fraction of his step. And there's no reason for me necessarily to believe that. I don't think that Brian Danielson is physically at the same level that he was when we first started seeing him as the American dragon wearing the mask, you know, but I suspend my disbelief when I watch him wrestle that I just believe like he's actually still at his physical peak. 
He's actually still the best athlete in all of wrestling. He, and he's the best worker. He's the most intelligent, has the best psychology, all this stuff. So it's just like, this guy is fucking phenomenal. There is nobody who can do it like Brian Danielson can, can do it. I opened with the Danielson gushing chatter and all this because I wanted to close and focus on exactly some of the stuff you said there. Hangman Page, this is the most fully formed and best version of Hangman Page I've ever seen. And I have been a big fan of Hangman Page. I've been indifferent to Hangman Page, Adam Page in ROH. I've been a doubter of Adam Page. I've thought, this guy's never going to figure it out. This guy's never going to put it together. And this was the best that I've ever seen him for as a performer. Um, I've talked about it. It was kind of the bane of my existence when we when I used to review ROH TV. Think about how shitty that was. Sinclair ROH TV with Pete and uh, Sinclair. They would always make a big deal to point out like this Adam Page versus Jay Briscoe fight without honor that had like this insane blood. And they would make such a big deal to turn this into like Adam Page is this epic going to be a star. I'll give ROH credit for like they were going to push somebody and they focused on pushing him. But uh, it was just not there. I would always talk about it. They fucking they harp on this guy and they act like he's going to be something. And I just there's nothing there. And I at that point, it was already had been a fan of him in Country Jacked in PWX thinking this guy is fucking really good at what he does. But in ROH, I just don't see it. Um, and. To see here, this is the example of like addition by subtraction. And I thought about it during the match when Adam Page throws the fallaway slam. For a long time, he was doing the fallaway slam and then bridging into the pin. Yeah. And it's like an athletic spot, but it looks dumb as shit. And here he just does the fallaway slam and that's it. And that's when I realized like Adam Page is so much better now that he's not trying to do all of this extra shit just because he can't. You know, you know, you know what I didn't realize that he didn't do in this match? And like, maybe I'm forgetting it. Maybe he might have did it a picture picture. But like that running shooting star press, I didn't see him do that. I was going, that was the next thing I was going to talk about. I, for years, another bane of my existence with Adam Page. The fucking apron shooting star headbutt that always looked like dog shit. Never connected right. Oh, no, and no, no, not even that, but like the, the regular, like, like the regular one too. in the ring. Like yeah. The, like the, yeah, either one of them he didn't do. Yeah, he did not do either of these. And I was just like, okay, he doesn't do the bullshit anymore. He's dropped the stupid shit. The, the commentary still puts him over when they talk about uh, Brian attacking his legs, saying, you know, the thing about Adam Page is that he's a big heavyweight, but he can move like any of the cruiserweights, and he can do all these high-flying spots. And he does one, like, a couple of dives that look good, and a big or Arihara moonsault off the corner. And it's just like, that's the shit that he can do. That's the shit that looks good. Keep it simple. And believable. And it's like, this is perfect. This is it. This is why he's so much better now than he ever has been. Because he's toned down his moveset. He just hits stuff that looks good. He's still super believable as kind of a flex heavyweight in between. Like being a, you know, a heavyweight and a cruiserweight, but still believable as a, as a heavyweight. But like can pull off some big time stuff. You know, and I'm just like, oh my god. And you talked about it, the selling, the the getting into him, the people getting behind him, the blood, the fucking blood from Adam Page. I talked about the Jay Briscoe fight without honor and the blood, and they put over so much. Oh, he bled. He bled like a stuck pig. Oh, he bled. And I never, I did not give a fuck. It, it did nothing for me. The blood in this match, though, gripping, important, felt like something. He finally fucking did it. He put everything together. Brian being and, a fucking worker's worker, and like, like, he, yes. like you know, like, Hangman did a, like a decent job on the blade like it was fine it was like pretty high up on the hairline but like 
it stopped bleeding pretty quickly, and Brian, being a fucking worker's worker, opened that thing back up. <laughs> oh, yeah. He got on it instantly. The second it happened, he was all over it, which was fucking beautiful. Love to see it. And then he's going after the leg, or going after the arm, so he's fucking up the shoulder. And then, yeah, opens it back up, keeps the blood flowing throughout the match. Um, and then the final thing, and the most important thing to me, the time limit draw, the, the, the last few seconds of the match... I was talking to my sister and she was like, oh, I wanted to see a finish because Daniel has Brian Danielson has already done this, you know, before with the time limit with the champion, even if it wasn't a title match. And I was just like, you know, I actually like this. The biggest part of why I like it, it's not the same champion, even if like, again, not a champ, not a title match. I understand. OK, don't correct me. Whatever. I know that the Omega match was not for the title, but it's a different champion. He's going, you know, to the time limit draw with this time. It continues the storyline and it played into the storyline because Paige called Brian out when he won the title. He said, you know, I beat Kenny Omega and I didn't need 30 minutes. And then you turn around and Brian Danielson takes fucking Paige to an hour and he couldn't beat him. So you're blustering and bragging about how you were able to do this in 30 minutes, but you couldn't beat Brian Danielson in an hour. But on top of that, he also, even though it's still a time limit draw, he looks stronger than Kenny because at the end of the 30 minute draw, Brian Danielson didn't have the label locked. That's like revisionist history that people love to say, because I called it out even on the podcast. I remember this. Uh, at the end, he was not in the label lock. It was after the time limit expired that Danielson grabbed the label lock. But either way, Danielson was in control when the time limit hit. In this match, it looked like Paige was just about to win. He had just hit the buckshot. So... Page, even though it's a time limit draw, he doesn't win. He still looks stronger than Kenny because at the end of the time limit draw, he looked like he had the advantage and was about to win when Kenny looked like he was on the back foot. So you get, you serve a ton of masters here. You present uh, Page that like he's above Kenny's level. He's closer to the same level as Brian than Kenny ever, than Kenny was. Um, and that these guys are like the ones where now we got to see who's the better of these two. And um, so you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to say it's like, it also goes with the fact of, like, what has Brian done this whole time other than be disrespectful to Hangman Page and say, I'm kind of disappointed Kenny didn't win because I came here to face the best in the world and you're not. So, like, right. so, yeah, like, Hangman, like, like Brian can say whatever, like, well, it took you 60 minutes or whatever and you couldn't beat me. And, like, that would be, like, heel, pro- heel posturing or whatever. But Hangman can say, you, like, you couldn't even, you had 60 minutes and you couldn't beat me. And I right. was that close to beating you. I like, almost had you. Yeah. yeah, you yeah, you can't even say anything to me. So like one of the things that I liked that I didn't mention is like um kind of like the first like 20, 20 or thirty minutes is like told through facial expressions. And you see like all the excessive rope breaking and getting outside of the ring and rolling out that uh, that Danielson does. And he has that smug fucking smile on his face throughout every time and you see Hangman looks nervous. Hangman looks frustrated. Hangman is getting annoyed. And you see all these stories like being told on these guys' faces, even more so than the moves are doing in the ring. And then as the match goes on, and like uh it really starts when Hangman uh kicks uh, kicks Brian down in, in, a, in a sequence. And then as the match goes on, you see Brian's face, all that like arrogance or whatever starts to dissipate. And especially when Brian is uh more vulnerable and he after he kicks the ring post and you see the leg selling there and some leg work from Paige. What you see is Brian tries to go back to that same bravado and posturing, doing the jumping jacks 
and he sold his fucking leg doing the jumping jacks. <laughs> like, like this was a match that like the action's gonna get remembered, even like the storytelling and like the way they pace it will get remembered more. But like this is really like a match told through facial expressions in the first like twenty or so minutes. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And there's a lot of great details. The final detail I wanted to hit was, uh, you know, have to get back to my roots and call it out. But uh, the money clip, easy money, uh, and the uh, the flipping over the top rope clothesline. I always remember that in ECW and and never having any issue with it. But ever since Adam Page has always done it as the buckshot lariat, I've always thought it was kind of a goofy move. And I thought that the way that Brian Danielson ducked out on the first attempt intentionally i thought really helped to to kind of put over that fact that it it's a goofy move but it's a big time hitter and so that's why adam page has to earn it and i thought that that was again just part of the example of like really smart wrestling and working around stuff to make it work so that then when he does hit it later not only does it feel more important but it also does kind of negate the silliness of it because i don't know i think when something is like kind of contrived in wrestling i think that if you call it out once at least then it like it just helps add legitimacy to, uh, legitimacy to it for me later because it's like okay well he can't just hit it whenever because it is kind of a stupid move so the fact that he did hit it means that like it was uh it was he was thoroughly worn down and you know he was like the perfect situation so i just had to call that out give a little you know reference back to the ecw days like i said to, to do my roots on this um but uh rest of the show i mean wait 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 wait, wait, wait before before oh, we do ahead. that like and like there yeah, is still like a few more matches and segments that happen like though you know we'll get to but what have your thoughts been like i've seen some people and like your fucking wwe like fed night nerds who like hate watch aew and shit but i've seen people like criticizing the fact that they did a draw and i'll be honest like i didn't even think of a draw as a possibility like i didn't even think about it it's something that i, I saw simon throw out there earlier before the shit before the match happened and like it wound up happening, but, like, leading into this, I didn't even think of a draw, and I wonder, like, and I know where this comes from. It comes from, like, years and years and years of WWE ingraining certain things into the minds of wrestling fans, and if AEW doesn't follow up on this, then it's, like, rightfully, then it's, like, it should be rightfully criticized, but, like, when you do a draw, it is with the intention like, you know, I've, like there are political reasons back when, like, draws are more frequent or whatever. But when you do a draw, it is with the intention that eventually someone's going to win the match. Or someone's going to eventually, like, get the clear win. And I just don't see what the issue is if they want to extend a story where Brian Danielson is a very, very, very credible challenger. And Hangman is getting tested and is getting tested that what would be wrong with doing another Brian Danielson versus Hangman Page match? And I don't know when they're gonna do it. Um, could be the first. Could be the first uh, Dynamite on TBS. Could be the Battle of the Belts. Could be like whatever the fuck they're gonna do. But I think it's been really interesting to see certain people act as if a draw is a bad booking decision when, when used sparingly and used correctly, like Brian Danielson being the only guy that's gone to draws that it can be a good storytelling tool. And we don't know what's going to happen with Brian Danielson and Kenny Omega because Kenny Omega is taking time off now, but they're going to revisit Danielson and Kenny Omega at some point down the line. So, like, it feels like this kind of weird thing with wrestling fans in 2021 where, like, it's a instant gratification and a draw 
is getting called is it like oh why would they do a draw why would they do why would they do this as if they can't pay the story off further down the line but um i don't know that was like a lot of rambling right there like do you have any thoughts on that i think that's a fucking insane like counterpoint to try to to try to shit on AEW for having a draw on the like fed night side of things because they're like they WWE doesn't even have the fucking, like, decency to treat their fans like they matter or that, like, they have the intelligence to, like, give them a finish that's at least as, like, decent as a draw. WWE loves to give you, like, fuck bullshit finishes, DQs, you know what I mean? Like, that kind of shit is way worse than a draw. I'm sorry, like, when you earn a draw... Like, just from that, like, if you're approaching it from, like, your your perspective, like, you're still an avid WWE fan, like... You can't really say anything if you're sitting there and not criticizing the fact of, like, all these other, like, music music hits and distraction finish yeah. or whatever. Like, you can't really say anything when they actually got to wrestle and went to a draw. <laughs> yeah, it's like when you actually earn a draw that goes to an hour with a good match, a great match. Like, I'm sorry, but that's much better booking than, like you said, distraction, bullshit, finish, DQ fucking you know what i mean D- like disqualified for kicking too much ass that kind of shit disqualified just like, disqualified, in a, disqualified in a hell in a cell match <laughs> yeah exactly like that's the that's the the bullshit booking that just like fucking kind of like pant not even panders the opposite of panders uh you know like talks down to the fan base fucking patronizes the fan base that's the shit to really you know piss on but as i said the brian to me the the thing about the fucking time limit is that this is the brian gimmick this is the Brian. This is part of Brian. Brian is going to be. It's going to be, be a. It's going to be a Brian story. Yes, Brian is the time limit guy. That's the story. Like that makes sense, and that's fine with me. He's. They are telling a story with him. The fact that it's it's two in a row. When he wrestles the champion, he's going to time limits twice. That's a fucking story. I don't care. Like like it's silly to to say like oh whatever. I, I can't understand anything that you have to say. Anyone could possibly say about it like you said there's political draws and stuff like that whatever but that is not this this is storytelling and this is i mean before you even begin to have a conversation about the finish and the and the and the draw and all this the real question is was the match good because if you have even 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 beyond that like yeah the match was good and like they had a phenomenal 60 minute match but it's like did this do its job effectively? And you can like point it down, like, well, did it did it like bring a rating or whatever? But ultimately, it's about did this make Adam Page more credible as a champion? And like, yeah, absolutely, it made Adam Page more credible as a champion. Like, exactly. That's what the goal here is. He went sixty minutes with Brian Danielson, had a great match with them. The people that watched it, the people that were there in attendance, watched it on TV, whatever, all saw a great match. And in the end, the visual they're left with is that with five more minutes. Hangman probably would have won that match. The goal is to make a credible champion. Like that like that's the goal here. You can like be dis like you can like pick it apart and talk about like disappointment and like the like number and the demo that it drew or whatever, but like the goal is to make a credible champion. And you don't always necessarily have to have to win to make someone credible either. Like there's all there's obviously cases, famous cases of making a guy with a loss. There's cases of making a guy with a draw. Like we can talk about, like, the financial failures of WCW as much as we want to, and, like, like, say, like, the match I compared it to, like, is, like, the Sting versus Flair matchup, and, like, 
that being at the clash and going 45 minutes and like it didn't like take sting to like being like this big mega like mega star overnight but to do it 45 minutes with flair and like by the end of it had the crowd going crazy and the people that watched it people that were there in attendance that saw it they're like oh shit this thing guy is really good and this is on a much larger scale uh, I, I i would say at least they're like the like the company is operating in a much in a much healthier way than 1988 wcw is but like a draw can help elevate somebody so like i, I don't know it's just like it's weird in like, obviously we're gonna be on the side where we're gonna we're gonna like be like the uh AEW sympathizers or whatever the fuck but it's just like such a weird thing i'm like let's go watch an nxt 2.0 in peace like why are you trying to say that going to a draw <laughs> yeah right with one of the most famous wrestlers of the last 20 of, of the last 20 odd years is a bad thing for a new champion <laughs> Right. Yeah. No, I know. It's it's fucking psychotic. It's such a weird thing. But one of the funniest things is like us and then seeing like the way that like Jamesy and and Simon um, are getting treated by the like, you know, the 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 dead enders, the fucking like AEW versus WWE fucking hoi polloi, whatever that like they have no concept of like wrestling fans outside of the bubble now that is the like. 1v1 of AEW versus WWE that if any of us who are like AEW sympathetic at least has anything negative to say about anything really especially anything on AEW they then like turn it into like that we're fed nights we're fed stands it's one of the weirdest fucking uh, things yeah, J- I've James, seen. Yeah, James E., the very famous WWE fed night. <laughs> yeah, or fucking Simon, the same thing. It's like, oh, if this ma- if oh, it was yes. happening oh, on oh, SmackDown. Yeah. That's fucking it's hilarious. Like, do you guys understand that there are there are people outside of your fight who are laughing at all of you or laughing at both sides? Because I don't fucking take a side. I like AEW. I think it's a good, I think it's a much better wrestling promotion than WWE because it actually is a wrestling promotion. But my fandom does not live and die with AEW, right? Like, yeah. it's fucking crazy. <laughs> how, but, think, like, dude, how critical were we of AEW when it first started until they started, like, getting their things together? How many times did I come on here being like, uh, not really into this yeah. so far? Oh, yeah, you were even a lot more hesitant to, of it than I was. But, yeah, I mean, there's definitely something I want to call out for how bad it is later on on this show. But uh, I think we got we to gotta get moving here, Quentin. We unfortunately have dragged this out way too long. Uh but uh, if you have any final thoughts before we close out this one match that we reviewed. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't really have big thoughts on the rest of the show, but it sounds like you do. So let's do it. No, no, no. Only one quick one. Uh, Sheeta versus Deeb. Great match. Uh, really fucked up by the fans. And uh, I think if you don't if you don't give this match credit, it just proves sexism because Sheeta wins with a one-legged bridge. So I know that that has to give points from you. But uh, just wanted to point that out if you liked the match or what did you think? No, it was really it was, it was it was really solid. Like it's a tough spot considering like anything in there would have been yeah. would have been in a tough position. Um, but this is this is really solid. Deep continues to do really good work. I I understand why she's a heel, but I almost and I, and I know that like AEW is a little bit more fluid with how they book. So like I know that she can probably be like given the range to do more things, but I want to see Deep do more stuff. It's good to have her in there with Sheeta and maybe like help Sheeta develop a little bit but I, w- I would like d- to see like other programs for Deeb and like I imagine this is probably the rubber match so we'll see different stuff going forward but Deeb should be a regular on the TV and like 
she should be facing like Chris Statlander or something. Yes. Uh, real quick, just a yes no answer to the question. Um, is Serena Deeb actually the wrestler that people pretend like Jeremy Wyatt is? <laughs> moving on (laughs) where did that come from i was just thinking about it i was like serena deeb is like a female jeremy wyatt and then i was thinking about it and i was like she's actually better than jeremy wyatt but uh either way (laughs) moving on um mjf dante martin this is the thing that i'm going to call it AEW for mjf has regressed and become a worse promo in aew than he was before coming to aew his promo before this match sucked his promos the stuff with punk has been fucking dog shit (laughs) repeatedly i am fucking sick of this guy on the mic i always gave him more credit as a worker and i think even in this match he deserves credit for being a solid worker even if he's the first person that we've seen who exposed dante martin for being as green as he is on AEW tv um he at least was very professional throughout it that's that's probably probably more AEW's fault than his (laughs) Sure, sure. But you get my point is that like up until this point, Dante Martin is very green, but has looked super good because he's gone up against people who are like really solid. He's been and in, MJF he's, like he's been, in, he's, been, he's been in tags. Right. And then here with MJF, like he had some major flubs, but MJF was professional throughout it. He didn't fucking, you know, tr- like start turning into a fucking baby. He didn't whine. He still was super solid. He based really well. I think he did kind of he did kind of whiff on one catch on a dive. But other than that, he was pretty good. That's a, a fair enough receipt for getting need in the throat and chin. Um. So, yeah, but I am just I am fucking done with this guy on the mic. And okay, I. OK. All right. Go so. ahead. Everything I've ever heard about MJF, everything everything people have ever said about MJF is MJF is very aware of what people think about him online. Like, he is very aware of all these things, pays attention to all these things. I understand why people don't like this material. I'm not even saying it's good either. But this dude is definitely doing this shit on purpose. Like, I felt this way ever since, like, the like the quote-unquote epic promo battle with punk or whatever i've felt like this whole thing of like him like regressing as you said on the mic i feel like this i I feel like it's been on purpose i feel like a lot i feel like a lot of this stuff has been on purpose i'm like you can go back to other mjf promos it is not like this is his first time doing stuff like this he's a heel that goes for like cheap heat or whatever but i i look at the story that they've been telling i look at like I don't I don't know, man. Like I, I get any anyone's opinion who feels this way, and I understand not wanting to give someone the benefit of the doubt that, oh, actually, like, you're being worked in this direction. Like, people just are allowed to not like certain things. It doesn't mean you're being worked. Like, that's fine. But I do feel like he is doing this shit on purpose. You know I I hate to to get swayed this much in just a moment. But you saying that and then thinking about the stuff with Wardlow that happened on, at the end of his match with Seidel earlier on the show, it just, I can't believe that the same guy, the same brain is like being this bad on the promos that is also thinking of that. Because the Wardlow thing at the end of his match was so fucking good. Like, that was great fucking stuff with like sean spears telling him go home quick we're not we're not getting paid by the hour and oh yeah mjf is on the phone and he he's told me to tell you to you know he needs like whatever for his celebration like that was too good so 
maybe you're right. Maybe I, I, you're right. I, I know I that, and I understand why it's easy to not like this kind of stuff, like dating back to like the Brian Pillman Jr. segment and shit like that. I totally understand, but I've said this from the jump. I think that the low hanging fruit, the cheap heat, the like one liners that he thinks are zingers and all this kind of stuff. When I look at CM Punk's reactions to it, when I look at how the commentary talks about it, like when he, like when he does that shit, look at CM Punk's face. CM Punk is just like shaking his shaking his head and laughing at this dude, like you're such a fucking dork. Like, and obviously, like that's kind of like a punk thing. You could say that the punk just has a kind of like smug energy just himself that he's like dismissive of like someone who's across from him. But punk is also a wrestler's wrestler, and if someone is meant to be taken as a credible threat then Punk will straighten his face and treat them like a credible threat. He treats MJF like he's a fucking nerd. Like, yeah, uh, I think I, I think that your MJF trutherism might be rubbing off on me and I don't want it to. <laughs> I, I really don't. I don't, I'm not an MJ. I'm not an MJF truther here, but yeah, I think, uh, I think you might be right. Um, we'll see because I, you know, I, t- I've talked about it that they're, they're definitely intentionally trying to legitimize mjf as a in-ring wrestler that's a big like obviously a big project for AEW right now um and i think that at this point punk has had nothing but certified bangers when it comes to his matches um which is actually i was trying to think about it because when you were saying danielson versus uh hangman is like a match of the year you know contender probable number one best match of the year i was kind of thinking i was like god i think either of the punk matches i could have as my match of the year Either the Darby or the Kingston match. I wouldn't, like, I wouldn't I could, begrudge any. I wouldn't begrudge anybody. Like for yeah. you know, for either of those things, yeah. Yeah. So I'm just like, God damn, like yeah. So I think that MJF and Punk having a classic match in the ring after having like kind of minimizing the importance or the quality of his promos could actually be intentional, but we'll see. No, like we'll see. I, like, like, and I do understand why some people would look at it. Like, I've had we've had plenty of conversations about this in the Slack chat. Like. Well, if this is a story, then why are they marketing it as this big, amazing, like, promo duel? Like, that's fair. I think that's a very fair statement, and, like, that could be a miscommunication between the AEW social media team and then, like, the story that they're actually telling on screen. Like, and at that point, they should figure it out. But, like, I, I don't know, dude. Like, I don't want, like, it's, be- it's not the best material, so if you don't want to go back and watch it, understand. But, like, just look at CM Punk's face whenever he, whenever MJF is doing his shit. Just look at Punk's face. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's and that was also a pretty good point, was, like, the fact that Punk is not a, uh, he's, he goes into business for himself and he can be a bit of an asshole, but he's not enough of an asshole that he would, like, completely shit on, and he's actually been pretty good it, faith that, that, doesn't, that doesn't help Punk's story. If, like, Right. If, like, he treated everyone like they were, like, a fucking nobody dork, then, like, again, Punk is a wrestler's wrestler cut from the cloth of, like, <laughs> fucking judging Eddie Kingston and, like, being uh, influenced by Roddy Piper and shit like that and what would Harley Race do? Punk, like, you you, you know, if you're, like, if you're like, oh man, I beat this dork in however many and in, in however long, yeah. you're, burying, you're burying someone to the point where your win doesn't even look credible. So, like, I think that he took Team Taz seriously. We saw that Team Taz made him mad, and we got a couple angry CM Punk promos. And now, if you compare that, and, like, when the camera pans over to CM Punk, he's shaking his head, he's like, oh my god, this dude is such a fucking dork. Like, what's going on here? Yeah. Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely fair. Um, alright, well, Quentin, 
Final battle. Well, well, I, don't know well, if you well, I want to mention oh, one oh, thing. Oh, yeah, because we, we didn't mention this at the top of the show. And uh, uh, just re- rest in peace, Jimmy Rave. One of the. Uh, Holy uh, shit! Yeah. Yeah, we didn't we didn't mention this at the at mention this, but yeah, just rest in, rest in peace, Jimmy Rave, dude. Like everything that Jimmy has gone through in the last like really his whole career. Uh, he's persevered through a lot, has gone through a lot, and I was like seeing some highs. That I feel like people don't give him credit for, and like you know, don't realize like how, like the kind of like significant roles he's gotten in a bunch of different places. And like even his resurgence and how important he was to like Southeastern wrestling and like people like, like Dylan and Matt from, and Matt from uh, action wrestling could like do more justice to that. But like my first introduction to like wrestling Twitter or whatever, one of the first like things I remember is like Dylan pimping, um, like Jimmy Rave stuff, and that being like a op- like a door opener to like watching this cut, watching this region of the world, watching this wrestling that I would have never thought about otherwise if it wasn't for Jimmy Rave having some of his best career work. And Jimmy Rave is a generational heel, the best heel of his era, probably. Like some people, you could say were were amazing heels at their peak, but as a consistent heel throughout, Jimmy Rave is untouchable and i was just watching um the generation next uh show from 2004 when like generation next forms or whatever and like that big eight man tag with the briscoes john walters and jimmy versus uh the generation generation next guys and like even as a baby face i feel like baby face jimmy doesn't get enough credit for how good of a worker he is even no. like like jimmy was just a really good work rate guy even before even before the heel stick and yeah, like this, there was a, there was a lot going on with Jimmy the last the last few years, and after like his amazing runs and becoming a little bit more inactive in wrestling and not getting around as much and facing some like health troubles that like I can't imagine like having to deal with that and like the shame that like you know feeling even having to feel ashamed of like the, the health troubles he was going through and the weight that that must have put on him and and everything, but. Yeah, I, Jimmy Rave, in a way, is, like, really fundamental to, like, my expansion into watching more U.S. indie wrestling. And just in general, one of the more unsung heroes of uh, his generation of wrestling. And, yeah, just Godspeed, Jimmy Rave. Yeah, no, definitely. And definitely one to, as you said, to, to call out. And people have kind of mentioned, like, oh, you know, he, he did some babyface stuff here and there, and he's underappreciated, but... Yeah, I mean, especially towards that end, not end, end run of his career, but that later resurgence of his career. Um, phenomenal, phenomenal baby face with the the rave approved and the, the like the stuff that he was doing with Murder One. Uh, so, yeah, just definitely a guy that uh, that uh, definitely, you know, in AEW, like AWE, like the baby face run stuff there was 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 great. Um and overlooked when people talk about him because of how easy it is to only talk about how phenomenal of a heel he was, you know, because he was one of the best heels of the, I don't know, past two decades, probably, um, you know, across, you know, a little bit less for this past or this most recent decade, but maybe before that, you know, 2000, 2000s and 2010s. Um, and yeah, overlook one thing you talked about about yeah the, the early memories of wrestling Twitter back in the day before uh, 
before I had the connections to 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 Korwu and the and so many other people who were so much better at this. Uh, I got a uh, you know a, a sneaky DM from from Dylan, uh, and then connected through to Jimmy, uh, asking for like certain footage and stuff. Back when I used to be the kind of person who could actually, you know, that you would actually go to to look for hidden footage and things like that. Way back in the day, um, and I remember you know finding a bunch of matches for Jimmy specifically that he wanted to see that he were stuff. It was just like private stuff for him that he was he remembered was really proud of and hadn't seen for years wanted to see again a lot of you know early tna stuff that was like hidden you know on the dark webs hard to find uh stuff in europe and things like that i always remember uh the the doug williams match that he was really really proud of two out of three falls match or maybe it was a british rounds match um yeah just that was definitely like you said early on wrestling twitter stuff i remember that from early on you know um getting contacted getting contacted getting touched by jimmy rave looking for some some footage and uh you know it's definitely a definitely a, a positive memory in my mind to be like oh that's super super neat that a guy that i was such a big fan of is uh you know asking me f- to do something for him uh so i can finally kind of pay it back for what he did for us um, um it's, so, it's, yeah. it's funny it's funny man it's like i think of like 2015 wrestling and like that like you think about how like transformative of a year that was for like wrestling as a whole like that was wrestle kingdom 9 that was nxt takeover like hitting it hitting its peaks that's like one of the best dragon gate years it's like sasha banks it's roman reigns and all that kind of stuff and like all these things going on and like when i think of 2015 like and this is like in no like small part to dylan like bringing this stuff to light but like it's jimmy's work and like just like listening to like the like formerly known as always barry tanners and like hearing like the case for jimmy ray being a wrestler of the year and just being like man, I can't argue anything about this case. I can't, like, disagree with a single sentiment, a single argument that was made here about Jimmy Rave being 2015 as Wrestler of the Year. And, like, I might not have thought that he was. Like, I'm pretty sure, like, I still believe that it's Roderick Strong in 2015. But, like, that's neither here nor nor there. It's, like, the fact that, like, Jimmy went through so much, fought so many demons, like, had so many, like, battles that he fought like up until like those very last moments and like still found those like moments to like find that like spark again and not only find that spark but like do some of his best work ever in that 2015-2016 range and yeah he's he's a guy that's responsible for like having like the kind of matches to put certain people on the map like guys that were contemporaries of his that like had been around just as long but like does Anthony Henry get to where he did if it's not for that Scenic City Invitational match in 2015 with Jimmy Rave. Like, I don't, I don't think so. It's like Kyle Matt. Does Kyle Matthews finally get the recognition he deserves? If it's not for the, if, if it's not for like the Jimmy Rave stuff from AWE, like, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. And like, that's the kind of like, w- like level of worker that Jimmy like reached uh, in like his, in like his peak years in the 2010s. Yeah, yeah. Wow, it's it's it is crazy to think about how much stuff splinters off from that that Jimmy Rave, you know, mid twenty tens run. Um Well, hey, you know, you talk about the end of of an era and a company that was the highest profile probably for Jimmy. I mean you could you could maybe argue TNA impact stuff was slightly more high in pro, f- profile, but I think that the most lauded 
and the best work of Jimmy Rave's career happened in ROH. And uh, ROH, at least for now, it comes to an end. End of an era. ROH final battle, literally called end of an era. Did you watch the uh, hour one, the pre-show at all? I watched the Shane Taylor uh, promotions match. I didn't watch the allure. Good, good call. Good call. There was also a ten man tag with a bunch of randos. Oh, yeah, like oh, 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 yeah, cheeseburger and Wolf Ferrara. Demonic Flamita and all that. Um, yeah, don't forget, Max don't the forget, Impaler. Don't, for, don't forget the demonic. Yeah, the demonic. Um, the demonic. <laughs> the, no, demonic is even better. Cause it's like he's duh, like Moloch, the that the the god that they uh, worship at Bohemian Grove. Uh, the owl god but yeah um that would be an even better gimmick for him because he his mask kind of looks like an owl either way is it is like maxine paler is that a they um uh, are they, are yeah they yeah no? maxine paler is uh they them uh non-binary them. okay and okay, okay. maxine paler fucking rules i definitely highly recommend people if you have not seen a ton of max um and if you're parm and you're listening to this and you're you know booking a uh you know a show coming up soon i would definitely reach out to max the impaler because they kick ass um but yeah uh the that was a the, the match was fine but it's like this weird 10 men tag either way um the the the, the righteous versus uh T- shane taylor promotions was fucking f- like really good it shane was. taylor promotions just rules like yeah but either way quentin go ahead this is your segment take over you're doing roh coverage let's go <laughs> let's know. fucking go um so like you 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 mentioned the Shane Taylor promotions uh, the righteous tag and I was it was fun like weird weird finish like I guess like the, they must have like botched it a little bit but still like doesn't take away from like how fun the match was and like O'Shea looking really good in it in uh in our witch's last show but uh yeah so I had this realization while I was watching Final Battle and uh, I've talked about my wrestling fandom before I've talked about how I've like always watched a fuck ton of wrestling like I watched. TNA really early on. I had bootleg WWE DVDs and stuff like that. I was watching like ECW comps and stuff like that. I've seen like All Japan really young. I saw like New Japan really young watching like Luga, Liger and Muda matches. Like, but I realized that if I had to pinpoint a single most important promotion to my wrestling fandom, it's probably Ring of Honor. And like, Granted, I'm like when I first saw Ring of Honor, I was 13 years old. I was on HDNet, and like already by then, that's 2010. So there were people that had been with Ring of Honor from the very beginning in 2002. That like, yeah, like myself, like, yeah, they've like literally like had their like all of their like teenage and adult lives with Ring of Honor, like being around and being like the bastion of like independent wrestling for for a while. And, like, when I first, like, come across it in the HDNet era, like, we're still, like, in, like, the kind of, like, transition of, like, the Roddy, the Eddie, uh, Eddie Edwards, Davey Richards, Kevin Steen, like, kind of era and transitions with the belts. And, like, seeing that and, like, being, like, like, being, like, a really big Davey Richards guy and feeling like, oh, my God, like... I haven't, like, been, like, this, like, immediately enthralled by a wrestler since Samoa Joe when I first saw Joe in TNA, which is, like, a funny sentence to say, but, like, that's how Davey felt for a 13-year-old me. And then seeing the rise of Kevin Steen and the whole Al Generico and Kevin Steen story and, like, the fact that, like, those two are two, are two of my favorite wrestlers ever and, like, that, like, leading me to want to go watch PWG and... 
like Ring of Honor being like the first wrestling shows that I went to and like just all the different like people that came and went through Ring of Honor, like a fucking who's who of professional wrestling that like made their way as a WWE or whatever later on all came through Ring of Honor and watching Ring of Honor TV weekly and like this like obviously we're not gonna act like Ring of Honor's weekly run in the 2010s was always great or perfect or like there weren't problems or things that people didn't like but I watched Final Battle and like I just had this like this overwhelming nostalgia and like sadness that I didn't feel when like the first when the news first came about Ring of Honor's closing I didn't really hit me I was like oh man that sucks but like it didn't hit me until watching this show like just how much Ring of Honor is done for my wrestling fandom and like how much is done for everyone else's wrestling fandom I have to imagine too like it's just the fucking gateway to a whole different world you go from Ring of Honor and you spin off into PWG and you're like oh shit like I really like this Johnny I really like this Johnny Gargano guy and that might spin you off into Dragon Gate USA and Evolve and that might spin you off into all these other different directions all across the wrestling world and like Ring of Honor might not have been where they like came up but Ring of Honor is like that hub that like really had all these special fantastic wrestlers that might not have always reached their full potential in that company but what you when you saw them when you saw like a 24 year old Cedric Alexander when you saw a 25 year old ACH when you saw these guys Adam Cole taking those first steps and Adam Cole versus Kyle O'Reilly in the fight in the fight with in the hybrid rules and like when you see these things like these are like kind of like lasting images that I have of my wrestling fandom that even if TNA was my first favorite company that even if Dragon Gate is my favorite company of all time I don't think there's a single more important promotion to the way in which I grew to understand wrestling and the way in which I grew to love wrestling than watching Ring of Honor and it's funny that that came in 2010 when that's past ROH's peak years and a lot of people view those as bad years for Ring of Honor which I understand because when you go back to 2003 and 2004, 2005, 6 and 7, even 8, and see how good the product was. Obviously 2010 isn't as good as those years, but like just being around and watching just like you look back on it and that's just fucking special, dude. You look back on it and you see Cedric and ACH and Hangman and the Bucks and Red Dragon and Roderick Strong and Jay Lethal and all these different people that have like all come through there. He like holy shit, like they like even after even after those like post peak years, Ring of Honor still had like the future of wrestling all in their backyard, and it might not have always been perfect. But you threw on a random ROH show from like fucking Duluth or whatever, you're gonna see some incredible Jonathan Gresham versus Leo Rush match, and. That's the kind of things that you can't, like, take away from Ring of Honor's legacy, despite inconsistencies and, like, other, like, valid gripes to have with the company and, like, all that stuff is that, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know, dude. So, like, it's such an important promotion, like, to not, not only so many wrestlers, but even people like me who are still, like, you know, in their 20s, Ring of Honor was still that promotion. And, like, like and that's the same, for, that could be the same for you I can be the same for Jamesy. Like, that's like how crazy Ring of Honor's run is. And like, 
just watching Final Battle, hearing the fucking kingdom come out to something for you was like, oh my god, like it like <laughs> really like hit like certain emotions for me that I didn't think that seeing fucking Matt Steven and Mike Bennett would do. And yeah, I don't know, dude. I just I had a lot of emotions watching Final Battle, but that's like what what I what I uh, what I have for you right now. ROH is such an interesting company for that reason, and you just you just mentioning that is like a really good, a really good uh, point is like Taven, like someone like Matt Taven who like I've never been a fan of Matt Taven. He was always like always, fine if you were if you were watching yeah. 2010's Ring of Honor, you're like okay he's cool like he's TV champion like all right that's fine. <laughs> yeah, but he's just always been there and he's always been in this company and he's always like kind of middle you know, middle, whatever, and, like, that's just such an ROH thing, especially for the past, like, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, probably, really, of, uh, like, ROH being, like, having a guy like that who's just kind of there, you know, and it's like, it, but you you grow this affinity for it because it, it's so consistently there, you know, and, and that's what ROH became, and it's, it is very weird to think of them as, like, possibly being gone, but, you know, I... I I talked about it because I think it was Simon or someone. They were like, you know, they retweeted someone with like your first ROH memory. And, and my first ROH memory was downloading. I downloaded the match off of Kazaa, you know, file sharing fucking, you know, bullshit the way back in the day before, basically before like even, uh, uh, X or yeah, XWT. It was like the same website, but it was like a different website, whatever. And, uh, it was, the matches were in pieces and the first, match that i got was the earliest match on the show based on what i was able to download had brian xl in it and it was the first time i had ever actually seen brian xl uh, but i had known that he existed you know because i i'm old enough that i come from that weird era i'm not like the hardcore like the insane people who talk about like reading magazine results and just being like oh i you know like imagining you're, you're, what you're these from, matches you're, you're, were you're like from the, you're from the era where like you look oh that guy was like like a thunder jobber or he was like on one of the last ECW shows or some shit. Right. Yeah. But not being like the people who like, Oh, I've never, you know, I've never like seen this guy, but I've heard of him forever in the magazines, but it was like, you would like see him like randomly do stuff. But, but it was like, I had Brian XL on my fucking uh, EWR game and he was like super over. And I turned him into a big deal by feuding with Trent acid and like (laughs) making this insane fucking feud between them and Juventud Guerrera and Trent acid and Brian XL became like, where was uh, where was easy money in all of this? Yeah, exactly. He should have been in there. He was always a solid mid card guy, but you know, like that was the thing is that ROH turned into the place where it was like these indie guys that I kind of heard about in other companies that like I could track down some footage here and there, or I could like go to like local indies out here in Southern California and see some guys. But like if they were not, you know, in the bigger, bigger companies, the the only places that I would see them if they were good enough was in ROH. And that was kind of what ROH was for me. It was kind of the, it was the super indie. And that was the point. That was the idea. So it was like, okay, you hear about these guys and they have matches in like uh, JPW or, you know, you know, other promotions that I, I can't, you know, name off the letters off the top of my head right now, like ECCW, places like that, where you'd be like, okay, I've heard of this guy, you know, even like Heartland, you know, other promotions. Again, you know, Texas Wrestling Academy, the, the, like the, 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 Shawn Michaels' students, all of that. It was like, okay, I've heard of these guys. I've heard that they're good. But I can't, you know, get every tape. I can't find every match. But uh, 
ROH, a lot of them will come together. And then also, yeah, like some some ECW guys that you like haven't seen for a while. What are they up to? Because I miss, you know, I miss seeing ECW, but they're never going to be on WWE. Steve yeah, like, Carino like, shows up. Like, ra- like randomly, just incredible, just incredible is a fucking mid carder in Ring of Honor. Just like randomly. Yeah, and he shows up and gets like insane pops and is like the most over guy on the show. You know, like stuff like that where you're just like, oh shit, like the hit squad, you know, like uh, all of these people that you like kind of would hear about, but it was. At that point, you could find stuff, but it wasn't streaming sites didn't really exist as much. So it was like if you were going to find something, you had to download it or you had to try to order it. So it was not the same as it is now where you could just stream everything. It's it's kind of funny because I still I feel a bit antiquated because I still like primarily download stuff. I don't stream stuff as much as like I think other people do, which I find very funny because I'm just like. That's just like I that's my cassettes, like instead of having records or cassettes, I just have like downloads. Oh yeah, I, I actually download this. You know, it's, the quality is just that much better when you when you have the the MPEG on your on your hard drive as opposed to just streaming it. No, um, but yeah, like that was kind of the thing. It was like, but you could count on ROH that you could get the stuff and you could see these people, and it was a big fucking deal. And as you said, it splinters off and things change, and you start hearing more and more about modern Japanese wrestling that's going on through Dragon Gate, and then. You know, New Japan, All Japan, Hustle, like, DDT. Yeah, fucking, like, like, you splinter off, and it's like, while, like, Ring of Honor felt like, oh my god, this is, like, the craziest thing, things change, and it's like, oh, like, I like DDT, I like Dragon Gate, I like, oh, New Japan's good, like, it becomes that, and, like, Ring of Honor's still there, and it's still stuff that I remember, like, very fondly. I remember Kevin Steen's title reign, like, super fondly. Like, a lot of stuff that we talked about on, like, the top 50 of the de- of the top 50 of the decade, the best wrestlers of the decade. Like, I remember a lot of that stuff super fondly. Like, um, I have the actually the first uh, ROH card I went to pulled up in front of me. Uh, okay. So, on this card is uh, Donovan Dijak versus uh, Taka- uh, Taki Watanabe. Yeah. <laughs> Would you happen to know who Taki Watanabe is? <laughs> is that evil? That's evil. Yeah. Uh, Silas Young I versus... I remember. Silas Young versus Will Ferrara. Cedric Alexander versus Moose. The Briscoes versus Rapunky Vice. Adam Cole versus Dalton Castle. Adam Page versus ACH. The Addiction versus The Kingdom versus Red Dragon versus War Machine. And Jay Lethal versus Roderick Strong. Like... What the fuck? Like you look at was a card like draw? did you go to the long? Jay yeah, I, I, I was yeah. at the I was at the draw. Yeah, I, I could have sworn I remembered that. Yeah, I was I was at the draw, and it's like, dude, look at this fucking card. <laughs> like right, like that's like insane. If like you saw a card like that in twenty twenty one, you'd be like, oh shit, that's a really good card. But for twenty fifteen Ring of Honor, that was like, oh, that's an okay card. Right, yeah. Like that's like like and like that's the kind of standards that like Ring of Honor got held to for so long that that card that you look at with twenty twenty one eyes and you'd be like, oh my god, I would watch that in a heartbeat. That was like regular Ring of Honor. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh man, that. Uh, but but yeah, again, you have to also keep in mind that that's not like the peak of everyone. There's like ebbs and flows between everyone there on how good they really were. Um, at the time, but yeah, I mean, still, that's like ROH. Uh, it's such a weird thing to think about because ROH has always been there. It's always been a solid place. It's it's ebbed and flowed in its importance. It's had ups and downs. It's had you know a lot of weird, a lot of weird stuff. 
with different things with the tryout system and, and pay to play and all that and everything, all the positives, the negatives, stuff like, you know, Cornette and Delirious and Bully Ray. Yeah, exactly. But Enzo, Kaz, all that stuff, you know, the, the relationship with new Japan. Do you remember the beginning of the relationship with new Japan? How exciting it was. Oh dude. Like all of the, there's a time period in which I feel like people like, again, like might not remember this or understand this now. But when they did Kevin Steen versus Shinsuke Nakamura, that oh, was yeah. like the biggest thing on fucking earth when that happened. It that was, was the biggest match in the world. It was the two most charismatic wrestlers on the fucking planet. Yeah, like it was like fucking incredible. If you just go watch it now, when like yeah, the match might not might not be amazing, like, but it, like who fucking cares? It's Kevin Steen versus Shinsuke Nakamura in tw- well, early 2014, 2013, whatever, whatever the fuck that was, yeah. like. This is Kevin Steen versus Shinsuke Nakamura. Who gives a fuck? Like, the crowd is just, like, so, like, beyond excited for this. I remember buying, um, the, the show, the, the, I think it was the Best in the World show. I don't know if it was Best in the World or the Anniversary show. Purely because I wanted to see AJ Styles versus ACH. Like, that was the sole reason why I got that show. (laughs) Because I wanted to see AJ Styles versus ACH. Oh, speaking of that, we should have. Uh, you mentioned it. Kevin Steen, he just signed a multi year contract with WWE. So, shout out to Kevin Steen. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, they probably got the fucking, like, Brinks truck back up, back up. They said so three. They said multiple millions, up to three million per year. Per yeah, like, year. Yeah, they were fucking terrified. So, the fact the Brinks the truck up for Get him. the fucking money. <laughs> yeah. I'm into it. I don't give a fuck. Oh, no. Like, there, like, there are people that are going to be, like, weird and be like, oh, why'd he do that? And, like, dude, like, yeah, he. Like, he did like what he was supposed to do. What wrestlers should do is that they should, like, bend these companies over a barrel and, like, use their leverage and, like, get the best deal possible. So, like, if Kevin Steen wants to, in, like, three or four years, come to AEW, like, listen, yep. that the country, that the, that the company is still up and running, like, you can still do it. <laughs> but right now, he's going to take this, like, fucking $9 million <laughs> from WWE yeah. and, like, live a very, very comfortable life. My my answer to this is that there is literally nothing that Kevin Steen can do, Kevin Owens can do, to make WWE cool and make AEW uncool, because no matter what he does, because of his attitude and his the way that he acts, you you like get the the detached irony of everything, to where everything he does and says like automatically just makes WWE look weak and makes AEW look cool. So the idea that, like, on top of that, he also takes $9 million from them, it's a positive for AEW. Even if you think that he would be better in AEW, it would be better, you know, oh my god, all this stuff. Like, you can't argue with the fact that he's taking money away from WWE, and no matter what he does, he does not help them against AEW. It's honestly a positive for AEW to have... Kevin Owens inside of WWE taking money from them while like never making them never legitimizing them never making them look cool there's like there's no way that Kevin Owens can ever make WWE look cool it's just like in his nature that he can't because they're it's a bad company you know and and everything he does always has that like smarm and irony to it you know underlying to where you always know what he actually means yeah, like, he, like, you, like you, you, you know he's still he's still talking to the Bucks, he's still talking to Adam Cole, like he's still talking to all those guys. Yeah. Like, 
like if it happens, it happens. If like that, like that, who fucking knows? Like Nick Khan might look at how much money Kevin Owens is making and be like, he's making what? <laughs> in in want to release him in a year and a half? Like who fucking knows? So okay, like whatever. Get those millions, baby, and then show up in AEW instantly. Be the most over guy in the company. Have a great match with Daniel Bryan. Uh, Adam Page, everyone, whatever, move on. Uh, we haven't even gotten to the main card of Final Battle. I, I don't know. This was a really good show for the it most was, part. It was, man. Did, like, I, even, yeah. I, I, I even like the angles. Like, yeah. You know, like the, the angles. There's one really angle well. that was kind of bad, but whatever. I mean, like, I, I like the EC3 angle. <laughs> okay, liked okay. It. I liked it. All right, all right. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's maybe run through it kind of quick, but either way. I, I'm gonna let you run it. Let's let's do it. Let's go. All right. Uh, opening up the show, we got Dragon Lee versus Ray Horus. Uh, what a weird kind of fall from grace for Dragon Lee. Like his career is in a weird, you know, is, is in a re- really weird place right now. So like, I have no doubt that he can go somewhere and like catch fire and be really over. But like, it's weird to look at Dragon Lee now and where Dragon Lee's name was a couple of years ago and be like, oh yeah, like we thought like this guy was gonna be like super huge and then like for whatever reason like things just like went on the rails like covid related like roosh related like just just a whole bunch going on but this this was fun this was like really solid people don't really care for ray hurus that much and i understand but he still does some wacky insane shit that i don't really see anybody do like it's kind of like body scissors hurricane rana was like fucking wild and obviously his uh his big his big spaceship DDT is always is always insane looking, but this this was this was this was fun for what it was. It was a really, really solid opener. Yeah, he's the only person who does the satellite DDT better than Mark Andrews, and Mark Andrews was kind of to me the first person who I really. I mean, I guess Amazing Red did it before him, but I thought felt like Mark Andrews kind of popularized it in the modern era and the current era, and Ray Horace kind of does it a little bit better than him. Um, but yeah, like this is the consummate final ROH pay-per-view. Like who else but Ray Horus shows up in the opening card and the opening match as like I think it was a replacement for someone who didn't make it to the show. Um is you have Ray Horus show up, replace whoever in the opening match against Dragon Lee as you said. And but if it wasn't for COVID, I mean, if it wasn't for COVID, if it wasn't for travel restrictions, would you be shocked if if Dragon Lee was the surprise first opponent for Shibata on the Wrestle, you know, on Wrestle Kingdom? I wouldn't be. That would be like a match that I could totally see happening. So, part of the stuff that you're saying about how Dragon Lee's career has been fucked over the past couple of years, a big part of it is that he can't go to Japan because he's committed to being a Japan boy, and uh, that has really affected his career because he can't actually go to Japan. So, yeah, for sure. there is that. Um,. After that, after that, what is, what is after? That? Is this the four way? What the, the, the title match? Yeah, the four, yeah, the four, four, yeah, the four way. The television title match. Yeah, we have Rhett Titus versus Dalton Castle versus Joe Henry versus Silas Young for the ROH TV title. Okay. Joe Henry, I'm, it was cool to see. It was cool to see Joe Henry again. I liked the. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I, I remember uh, being at a uh, Free Enterprise, the uh, Marty Scurll show, <laughs> and uh, being a uh, like surprised at like how over Joe Henry was. Uh, it's the same thing here. Like Joe Hendry is like his his shtick has always been really really over with the ROH audience, and it was cool to see that one last time. It, I was happy with I was happy to see Rhett Titus win. I think that 
people like came into the show and they would have like seen that coming as the last Ring of Honor show. Red Titus has been there pretty much since day one. So like that's like a cool little gold watch to give Red Titus. But I, I thought I thought I thought this was solid. It's always surprising to see Silas Young look the exact same and like still do the exact same unnecessarily unnecessarily athletic moves. <laughs> it's always like cool to see. It's always like yeah. oh I forgot that Silas Young likes to fucking uh stand on his head and do a springboard moonsault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the was it the Pujiwaji plunge or whatever? It's like a Pittsburgh thing. Um. But yeah, Brett Titus, like you said, day one, day one ish. Like uh, the first, I think the first holder of the um, top of the class trophy. He was the, I don't know if he was like technically the first graduate of the ROH school, but he was the first person who was like given the the, the you know top of the class trophy for the school. So definitely ROH through and through, as you said, first singles championship they pointed out here, which is pretty interesting to think of i don't know if that's 100 percent true i didn't look it up but i feel like romantic touch was television champion at some point but i don't know if they uh officially recognize romantic touch as a uh as Rhett titus as the same person and i also might be wrong that he never won the title that way he was definitely multi-time uh tag team champion with kenny king and also with tracy williams so there is also that um so yeah, you know, uh, solid stuff all around. Joe Henry, like you said, looking like completely brand new. Gotta give a shout out to Joe Henry for spending like the past like five or six years as being the uh, the athletic in shape Grado, uh, <laughs> you know, the the actually good wrestler Grado, um, because yeah, like he's always over as fuck and can wrestle decent, but look like a totally different person here. Either way, moving on from there, uh, ROH Pure Championship match. Josh Woods, Brian Johnson. I get, I get absolutely nothing from Brian Johnson. Do you like this guy? He's fine. Um, I like his kind of like he feels kind of Jamie Nobleish, but like he's definitely not as good as James Gibson. But well, I, I think he's a, he's an interesting character. Like it's weird to see him get like pushed in like a prominent way, but I know that he's come up through the ROH school. I'm pretty sure, but he's he's fine. Like. Josh Woods is also isn't exactly someone that I have the utmost confidence in like making someone interesting either. So this was fun for what it was. They like they they worked hard. They hit each other pretty hard, and I really liked I really liked the finish with the elevated arm triangle. But yeah, it, this this combination of guys, I was like, I mean, this could be fine, and it wound up being exactly about like average. Yeah, definitely. I thought Josh Woods looked great. He also just recently debuted on AEW, but. Yeah, I, uh, whatever. Doesn't matter. This next match, I think you're a big fan of. Fight Without Honor, Shane Taylor versus Kenny King. I, I'm a big fan of it, so I assume that you were a big fan of it, but what did you think? Yeah, dude, this is real. this is really good. Something that I want to highlight is, like, I always forget how good Ian Riccoboni is, and before the bell even rings, Ian Riccoboni made this feel like a huge match, and he goes into this thing like when the match starts about like how this is about more than like these two guys settling settling their like settling their grievances with each other. These are people that are like fighting for spots. There's a limited number of WWE and AEW and Impact spots out there. These guys are fighting for that next contract. And like I was just like, oh, that line like cut me deep. Like, damn, that was like just like 
real like I think it was just real and like you wouldn't have expected just I wouldn't have expected that given the situation but you know it's the last Ring of Honor show for the time being so they're just like leaving it all out there and I thought Ian elevated this match in a major way and like uh Kenny Kenny King and Shane Taylor both sh- both showed up ready to kill each other the fucking package pile driver off the ladder bridge and the ladder just like decided it wants nothing to do with the spot so it's pretty much just a package pile driver from an elevated position to the floor for Kenny King and it's like just batshit insane I thought Kenny was about to fucking like dislocate his knee when he did that like weird splash from the ladder and the ladder was like way too low it's these these two work really hard. I, I like the story behind it, uh, and it just felt it just like a really fucking cool match to to see. And like Shane Taylor is someone that he's been he's been like a like a through and through Ring of Honor guy this whole time. And like Ring of Honor has given him chances and believed in him when he was always viewed as like the lesser between his tag team partner Keith Lee and Shane Taylor in the video package like. What a fucking good promo from him. What a, like, a... I didn't, like... You don't think of Shane Taylor as a talker, like, when you, like, think of... When you think of Shane. But everything about this match, from the commentary, the video package, and the way they wrestled it, just, like, really, like, reeled me in in a way that I wouldn't have been expecting it. Like, I've never been a huge Shane Taylor guy, but seeing this, like, baby-faced version of him was, like, oh, wow, like... Have I just, like, not realized how awesome this guy is? So I thought this was super fun. Yeah, definitely uh, agree with everything that you had to say there on on those. Um, On the match. One of the things that's interesting, the Ian Riccoboni thing. Like, yeah, I I agree with you. Ian Riccoboni was phenomenal on commentary the entire night, and this was a really good um, match to point that out on. Um, And as you talked about the contract, like... I, this is a weird thing to point out, but like, I mean, with the way that wrestling is, like, talking about limited contracts between these two, it's like kind of true because, you know, because they are both black. Like, it's it's it is it's shitty to have to say, but like, yeah, they don't like there is like a extra limited number of spots for fucking black guys. Like, black wrestlers don't have as big of a chance. And thing is, like, Kenny King is is Kenny King, and he's had his chances around, and he's been around for a long time. He's he's solid, and he's good, but, like, you know, whatever. But I think Shane Taylor is one of the best wrestlers going right now, and honestly, like, superstar potential, the amount of work that he puts in, the credibility, the the, the realism that he does, um, like, uh, yeah, like, I don't, uh, I don't see how you can have a uh, like how you could not sign someone like him um with the with the just the level of of everything that he does the execution and and again this is almost even a um a uh, a match that really shows that like level of of skill that he has because he takes someone like Kenny King, who I'm like kind of insanely bored of, and has this match that I'm super invested in by the end with the ladder bridge and the the insane spots and everything that goes on in this match. So yeah, I just I'm with you in like saying that like this was fucking intense, insane. The commentary was super on point for it, and this felt like a big time fucking match. The fight without honor, like yeah, the 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 aggressiveness, the fucking brutality, the the uh, everything about this was fucking 
just so intriguing engrossing it was yeah it was nuts um so yeah i'm huge fan of this one and both i think both these guys should get beat wind up somewhere but especially Shane Taylor, and we talked about Shane Taylor promotions in general. Like Shane, the, that that whole crew, yeah. if they if they're not like in the AEW system, like that, like again, like I'm someone that like really doesn't believe in like the quote unquote representation thing. I don't really believe in that because it's like like a whole like image in which like you know <laughs> not to get too deep in the weeds here, but it's like like it's like corporate. Um, like the the corporate interest capitalist interest like still determining which images of blackness they want to portray on television so it's like i don't really care about that like what about what representation is when it's still ultimately coming from like the white ruling class who gets to decide what image of blackness they want to put out there but that being said though if aw wants to like fix certain problems in one fell swoop all of Shane Taylor promotions yeah. should be should be under contract. Every single one. If you want to like send some, some to the Nightmare Factory, that's fine. But all of them should be like our our uh, AW should come knocking on those guys. Oh, yeah. And um, ideally, and I know this won't happen, Ian Riccaboni needs to be on the t- the commentary team. Ideally, oh, yeah. ideally, you take Jim Ross off. You can look. You can you can do however you want to do it. You can have like Ian do the play by play, Tony do color, and Excalibur as a mic today if you want. But Ian Riccaboni is has a very solid case of being the best announcer in pro wrestling, yeah. and he should have a job somewhere. He should absolutely yeah. be there in place of Jim Ross. Yeah, Ian. I I mentioned this in the Slack, but like yeah, like Ian. The, the 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 great thing about Ian is that he's self aware enough to not be like over the top cringe, but he's also like, um, like humble enough that he's like he's not like he, over the top. He doesn't go he doesn't go over the top, you know. He's like he's really self aware perfectly. He's a lot of people are going crazy about Lenny Leonard, and I can't argue with people that like Lenny Leonard doesn't have the track record, but. I think comparatively, like, yeah, Ian Riccoboni, Lenny Leonard are both guys that, like, phenomenal commentators and definitely deserve spots. Like, and thinking about Ian and Excalibur doing play-by-play in color together where they could, like, switch off, I think, you know, that would be fucking great. Like, two of the better people who can actually, like, do both. I think Ian is probably stronger as play-by-play, but, yeah, Excalibur can do both. Um... But yeah, I think the STP, if AW doesn't sign most of these guys, like they're they're like whiffing hard, yeah. like oh, yeah. they 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 definitely should, and like straight up, if they don't, like you know, me and you have tried to be fair about this. If they don't, me and you will have like we'll be like, all right, AW, what the <laughs> fuck is going on here? <laughs> exactly. Like exactly. I mean, I said it about the the Jay Lethal thing, but yeah, like Shane Taylor Promotions was the biggest can't miss act i said from early on all right um next is roxy versus willow willow Will nightingale speaking of uh people that aw should uh, be wanting to bring in roxy's oh, yeah. fucking 20 like yes. that's absurd and this match with willow was like the best willow match i've ever seen and like i think willow's fine for the most part usually but like i've never seen like a really good willow singles match and I thought this was like really solid. I like 
like Willow's like kind of like playful demeanor early on and like kind of frustrating Roxy and like having that going on while still physically still being like the more physically imposing force and how that gradually changed and like the smile and like the goofiness faded as the match got more and more intense and Roxy for being like so young like still feeling like kind of poised and like ready in the spot where the women in Ring of Honor are still fighting for like a certain level of respect and yeah I was super impressed by both of them in this there's one of the better Willow performances I've ever seen and Roxy is yeah like they if yeah. she's she needs to be signed in the next fucking like two weeks <laughs> Yeah, Roxy's an insane one because when she won the Women's Championship in the tournament, I was kind of shocked because I wouldn't have predicted her for, as winning from the beginning. But that's not to say that she hasn't earned it and that she hasn't gone from that and proven her stripes. Um, because not only does she have this, but she has a ton of great matches under her belt with the ROH Championship. She's been such a great ambassador for ROH as like a women's champion. And, uh, and as you talked about, like the layered the layered kind of personality that she has in matches because she's like bubbly and, and, you know, uh, effervescent and, and very like excitable and positive. And, but then also like can be brisk and violent and she can like be, go from being like, you know, like, uh, kind of coming across like very earnestly sweet to being like very cuttingly like rude and, and aggressive and, and chippy as uh, again this is a term that i always find very odd but i i really like it i i'm, I'm happy to have adopted it from you um yeah like uh, she's so very good and there is something earnestly like as a uh, she she is a filipino wrestler that i definitely get you know i've, I've always been in southern california been very close to filipino people some, some of my best friends have been filipino we've got joseph you know joseph Monticilio. um from Joseph Weirdness on YouTube. I don't even know why I plug him. He should be plugging us at this point with yeah, how many followers he has. Fucking fuck? prick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, like, that, uh, my, my closest with the Filipino people, working in healthcare in Southern California, I'm surrounded by Filipino people, and uh, the personality of being, like, super, like, uh, cutesy and chibi, like, Japanese, like, sweet and, and adorable, but also having, like, wry wit and, uh, and um, like, the sarcasm is, like, it's normal to me so to see roxy exude the, that personality trait in wrestling it like hits like a like right in that perfect quadrant as you mentioned she just she has that personality in droves where it's just like she can be super adorable and super cute but then also like really dismissive and and rude and and it's it's phenomenal super expressive face and as you talked about willow looks good here willow has continued to get better and better i think she's working super hard um, I was, I wouldn't say dismissive, but I was not a huge fan of hers early on when I first started to see her, but more and more as she's come back from injury, I thought she's gotten better and better. She's obviously very focused on her athleticism and, you know, big moonsault out of the top rope from the corner was, was, was really good from her right on point. So yeah, like both these girls, honestly, AEW should be looking at if they're trying to build a women's division and especially Roxy, as you said, like someone who what the fuck you know but it seems like maybe she's getting swooped up by impact as they're have diana Prazzo coming out and she's challenging her after the match so who knows if that's a a championship like uh thing or you know they're trying to like align all of the women's championships or if that's a direct impact roxy thing but we'll see moving forward from there on what's going on with her 
Yeah, like, any, any company that Roxy goes, I feel like she's going to be successful, but, like, yeah, I'd be very aggressively pursuing, like, pursuing her to get her to put pen to paper if I'm AEW. Like, I would, like, I would, <laughs> yeah. If I'm Tony Khan and whoever is making the decisions on, on, like, who to go, who to go for, Roxy is, like, at the very, very top of the list. I know that people like the Briscoes and Jay Lethal and Gresham and, even STP, you'll make arguments for. Roxy is a long term like play, like Roxy's fucking oh, yeah. twenty. Roxy's fucking twenty years old. Like you could milk her versus Britt Baker for like God knows how long. Like that, that's like that's like such a natural pairing oh, yeah. too. Oh yeah, no, definitely. Again, I talked about it, but like you know, working in a healthcare. Like having the the Filipino who's like the support staff versus the doctor fucking Britt Baker, you know, like the dental hygienist Roxy versus the uh, the dentist in uh, Britt Baker would be a perfect angle that you can play off of, right? You know, like goddamn, like that shit is just like so real, you know. So yeah, yeah, that would be uh, on top of the fact that they're built for each other work wise because they could switch back and forth from heel to babyface, no problem, in the same match. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, for sure. And then like. With Roxy, like because she's still like learning and still young, like God knows, like what a like a what a what a heel side that she could tap into, and like what what that could look like, like <laughs> yeah, like, like like but yeah, she's a like, really fucking great wrestler. Um, next is Rocky Romero and Violence Unlimited, Brody King, Homicide, Tony De- and Tony Deppin versus Team Foundation, EC3, Eli Isom, Taylor Russ, and Tracy Williams. This kicked ass. This is yes. really fucking fun. Taylor Rust is really good, and I want to see him. He'd be like a perfect WXW guy if WXW was still good. Oh like, yeah, yeah. He he'd was be like good a, there. Yeah, yeah, like he but, got signed. Yeah, yeah, but if he if he if, if he was like still like a like a, like a healthier scene, if you want, like you you want to say, like he he'd be uh he uh, I I think he would have been like someone that would like been like a real rising through the ranks kind of guy and i don't know like i don't know i don't know what more you what more you have to say about this i thought homicide i thought homicide should have got the pin um i was a little just yeah. dis- i was i was really annoyed that uh i think eli isom kicked out of the cop killer like i, I was really annoyed by that uh but yeah i guess my, my whole thing is it's fine i just wish homicide would have got the pin <laughs> Yeah, I think you're gonna you're doing the final night. You're gonna pay respects. I think yeah, like hom- why would you not go out with homicide getting the win, right? Like, out of all the people, and it's even it's weird because the 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 win is off of uh, Brody King, but uh, Deppen gets in there and grabs the leg. I I thought that was very odd too because I'm always like whenever I see shit like that, I'm always like why would the referee let somebody else help you pin someone? You know, like the the when you're a, a when your partner gets in there, the referee should call it off. So, but whatever, that's like stupid, stupid bullshit. But yeah, I'm with you that like last night of ROH fucking give the win ring of homicide motherfuckers. This guy is one of the most over guys in the history of the goddamn company. Like let homicide go out with a big victory. I'm with you on that. But yeah, otherwise like fun kind of thing that you want to see from something like this, you know, big, big eight man tag with a ton of ton of high spots, a ton of crazy action. Um, there's not much more to ask for here. And Russ Taylor, like you said, stand out of the match, really. Like, Russ Taylor and Tracy Williams looked great together doing double teams. 
Um, love to see them wrestle each other. Russ Taylor is such an interesting guy because he's an early 2000s PWG guy. He's one of the fighting Taylor boys. Um, and uh, then he disappeared for a long time. Didn't really, you know, be, being a Southern California wrestling fan, I saw him on indies constantly, but really disappeared from high profile indies. Showed back up on high profile indies for like a year and a half and then got signed only to get fired before he was like even anything. He was in the diamond mine for like a second, like such an interesting career that he's had. And I hope that he really, sticks with yeah, it. Because, really strange, really strange career. Yeah. Strange career, strange career path. I hope he sticks with it so that he can, you know, again, like you said, like build back something decent here. Biff music versus Russ Taylor. That's something I want to see. You know what I mean? Oh, There's like fuck, oh, hell yeah. Jonathan Grisham versus Tyler Russ. I want to see rematch of a, uh, Tyler Russ versus Dan Makabe, even if the first match never made tape for some reason. Uh, shout out to PCW, the original PCW, uh, Preston City Wrestling for never putting that fucking match online for anyone to oh, watch. Because that, that did happen, yeah, huh? Yeah. It was one of the last matches before lockdown, too, but it never made tape. Uh, you know, I'd love to see a rematch of that. There's there's a ton of great Russ Taylor matches still out there for us to see. Not not to even mention, like, Russ Taylor versus Brian Danielson. You know, what the fuck? But either way, yeah, a guy that I want to see a lot more of. Okay, so uh, post-match, we have um, uh, my man, the Libertarian EC3, uh, taking yes. the mic and talking about how the like these guys, the big guys, they get to... You know they're living they're living good because they had their office jobs and these other guys had their six figure salaries like talking about like the Briscoes and Jay Lethal and whoever else and talking about how like the Eli Isoms and Brian Johnsons and Dak Drapers and Will Ferraras like those guys are gonna be out of jobs and that he can he can help them if they like you know help them control their narrative and uh you know the Libertarian crew. Uh, it was Wesley Blake and some other fucking dude. I forgot who it was. Um, and then obviously the big one is uh, the former Braun Strowman, Adam Schur, the Titan. Uh, yeah. <laughs> comes out, just fucking destroys these poor guys. I don't know exactly what this is leading to. I don't know if they're leading to more like control your narrative produce shows. I don't know if there's yes. going to be an impact thing. I don't know what the fuck is happening. But I didn't hate the angle i didn't i didn't hate it like part of like it's like the classic like libertarian thing is like oh part of what ec ec3 saying is true and then it's like oh <laughs> never mind <laughs> yeah it's the classic libertarian gambit where you're like yeah you know what drugs should be legal but also why do we care so much about uh, age of consent why can't we drop the why do we have to keep talking about that <laughs> Did you did you have any did you have any so, thoughts yeah. did you have any thoughts on the angle? Uh, yeah, no one knows who that other guy is. I I assume that that's just the guy who like uh does the podcast with EC three because I don't know if you know this, but there is a free the narrative podcast. I listened to all what? five episodes. It's phenomenal. Oh, um, you, it, you gotta tell me they're definitely libertarians, right? Oh yeah, no one hundred percent. Like it's oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's some it's some top level shit. I'm gonna assume that that was like Stanley. Holy shit! The last free the narrative show had a uh, uh, gentleman Jervis on it. Gentleman oh. Jervis, Cotton Belly versus Paro. Can you Holy imagine how shit. narrative freeing that is? Yeah. Well, wow, the, narr- the narrative has narrative. the narrative has never been freer. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. That is a narrative freeing ass match. John Skyler versus Wesley Blake. That honestly sounds like a good match. That's like it I just want to see that match. Hold yeah. on, yeah, I need, I need to see. I need to see who the fuck was on this show. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Oh man, there was some good shit on here. Um. Either way, free the narrative. That's. I disagree with everything that they have to say. You got to free the narrative. The narrative sh- should be always free. Um. You know, it's he's the USA guy, and he likes narratives freed. Um. I'm trying to think. Okay, so it was on the um. It was on the pre-show. Because I wanted to point out one thing that's very shitty is that um, Big Bill Carr. I I, I tweeted this one. Oh out, oh but, yeah, Dutch Dutch yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, <laughs> WWE Dutch who finally changed his fucking Twitter name from <laughs> WWE Dutch to ROH Dutch and then ROH goes out of business. Could you imagine that shit? This guy has had the fucking WWE Twitter handle for ten years. He finally changes it only for the company to go out of business. What the fuck? <laughs> It's one of those like mild, mild annoyances, because you know yeah. he just like just kept it because he just didn't care. Was I thought it was funny? I was like, all right, cool. Like they're pushing me on Ring of Honor, so I guess I should like change yeah. my name now. I was like, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> he kept it. Actually, I heard him on a shoot interview say that he kept it because of uh, he was verified. And if you change your your name and you're verified, it'll get deleted, right? So oh, ROH was okay. able to get him verified with the new name. So, yeah, it was like he finally changes it and then they fucking go out of business. So now he's going to be ROH Dutch for like the past another 10 years without fucking changing it. That's going to be very funny. Um, I mean, shouldn't have turned on Dan Barry. That's it. All right. So free the narrative. The narrative has been freed. Um, long live the narrative. Either way, move on. <laughs> ROH World Tag Team title match. This one got you in your feels a bit, right, Quentin? Yeah, dude. Like, I don't know why, but like. Like, I don't know, am I the only one when something for you came on? You're like, oh, shit. Like, oh, hell yeah. Even yeah. even when Maria came out. Like, dude, like, no Ring of Honor fans like the fucking kingdom when, like, when they were, like, you know, at the peak of their powers. Like, no one was, like, clamoring for kingdom matches. But, you know. Oh, that's just because they're great heels. Yeah, this fucking heat, brother. <laughs> but, like, like, six years later... It's like, oh man, like I'm nostalgic for the fucking kingdom. Let's, this is bullshit. <laughs> did you did you like did you like this match? I, I, there's a there's a pretty famous uh, um, kingdom versus Briscoes match from like fucking January 2015 or whatever that like a lot of people a lot of people loved. So like these teams have like pretty good chemistry. So I thought so I thought that um. Like I would have, I would have liked to see them playing up, like, you know, like the heel side of the kingdom more. But I understand the circumstances and why that's not the case. I did kind of like the mid match turn with the Maria distracting the referee and like her getting speared, her getting speared on the apron by Mike. But I thought this was really solid. I'm surprised, honestly, at the reaction this match is getting. Like it was like really fun nonstop action, I guess. But I, but I'm definitely surprised that like. People are, people are, like, really, really, really loving this match. This match has, like, a 9.0 on cage match right now. Yeah. And no, this match I, could end up in my top 10 for the year. Really? If I okay. did that kind of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This was great. Like you were saying, the, the nostalgia, but they delivered on the nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Because they, they went out there and they fucking murdered each other. And these guys have a ton of history. You talked about their history that they have, like, in ROH. But they, I mean, these guys wrestled each other in Japan. Like, they both went totally. to... 
the you know the New Japan Tag League at the same time in wrestling. Like this, these teams have so much fucking history across the globe with each other. They've wrestled each other a ton of times, and they come out here and like you said, like I would have, I probably would have liked if you had just done a much more solid like you know kingdom or heels not necessarily because of bennett because i thought bennett was great here just playing like high octane bennett's spot a, go go bennett's go a good baby bennett's a good baby face like that that's I, also like, true I, I think that like i think i've seen enough of him as, enough of him as a baby face but i think he like he kind of has the christian problem where like me i can't even say that because like everything i've ever seen about like him is like he seems like a pretty nice guy <laughs> but like right but like but like you always think of of uh mike bennett as a heel but then, like, I've seen him enough wrestling as a baby face the last couple of years. I'm like, oh, man, maybe he's a baby face. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, I think I think Bennett can go either way. But my issue more is with Taven. I think Taven yeah. is a heel only. I don't. I can't have baby face Taven. I just don't get into him as a baby face at did all. You ever, did, did, you ever like, did you ever like Did you ever like baby baby face Taven? Never once. I've only ever liked Taven as a heel. And like it's okay. also really weird to think of Taven of how big he really is because I oh, he's, think of yeah, fucking giant. Yeah, I think of heel Taven, TV champion, and being like a little guy. You know, like that's how I think of Taven is like a underdog heel who's like shitty and cheats, but like is just a piece of shit and you you just can't get into him. And so it's weird to see him because he hugs the Briscoe brothers and he's the same fucking size as them, so he's just as big as the Briscoes. And he's like kind of being like just straight up babyface here. So like that was my only my only issue with the matches. I would just I would like the kingdom to be heels here, just because I think Taven is better as a heel. That would be like the only reason. But otherwise, yeah, like this. If I did like a top matches of the year, I could see this being in the, my top ten matches of the year because it delivered on nostalgia. There was emotion. It was like go go go. Great spots. Everything was phenomenal. Like yeah, that the fucking spear, uh, the spot. Yeah, the the fucking do, the fucking uh, tope doomsday that that the kingdom did was insane. Yeah, that was nuts. I loved that shit. Yeah, there was there was a ton of good stuff. And then the post match was awesome too. Pandemonium, fucking Briscoes and FTR like going at it. And have you seen the promo stuff back and forth between the Briscoes Yo, yeah. and FTR? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, this is this is what it's all about. These guys are cutting some fucking promos, you know, like, I love that shit, I loved the, uh, the, the, the Briscoe Brothers, you know, shoveling chicken shit promo was, like, was, I mean, it wasn't the best of the best promo, like, Briscoe promos, but it was still, it's a Briscoe promo, so it was great, you know, like, yeah, it was, it was phenomenal. Yeah, I thought, I thought this was really good, so, I liked it a little bit less than you, I think, I was a little surprised, like, how, how really, like, beloved this match seemed to be. But I don't. I definitely get it, and like all of those same things were uh, were hitting on all cylinders for me. Uh, Jonathan Gresham versus Jay Lethal. You know, like the story that these guys were telling with their with their mat with their series um, a few years ago, and seeing where Gresham is now. Like, I kind of want to talk about Gresham a little bit, right? Because so Gresham's first ROH match is 2011, and like he's used sparingly for a while before he becomes a full-time guy but like with gresham whenever he got chances he was always like phenomenal like i mean i remember i, talk, I remember talking about like like, the, like a random like duluth match that the random duluth match i'm talking about was gresham versus leo rush and there was yeah. like fucking like phenomenal phenomenal shit and then there's so like was, it, was there a gresham scroll tv title match 
Did I remember I th- being fucking I, phenomenal? I think I think so, but there's also like this tag. I forgot who it was, but it was like Gresham and somebody versus the decade. And it was like just like like total banger and like just like this random stuff when Gresham is still being used as this enhancement talent. And to see the way he's transformed himself, his body, and like the like respect he's gotten in that company and like just everything that he just had to work for there. Like we've seen this guy go from like being in Japan a lot to being in Europe a lot to trying to like gain footing in like the US Indies and then like kinda like burning bridges sometimes with like Beyond and CZW and stuff like that. And never knowing when someone was gonna push Jonathan Gresham to the level of which he should be pushed. And like he finds that in Ring of Honor somehow. And he finds it in like just through being so fucking great and like he makes some changes like became bigger he's a fucking like like just boulder now but the guy the guy just has always been one of the best wrestlers in the world and eventually people started to accept that and realize it despite the despite his size about how short he was whatever people started to accept that no this guy's one of the best wrestlers in the world and it was really nice to see like that get paid off because is there anyone that's more Ring of Honor in the 2010s than Jonathan Gresham? Like, is there anyone that's more Ring of Honor in like in in this like current state than Jonathan Gresham? Where if you just could pluck someone that wasn't a Ring of Honor guy and put him in peak Ring of Honor, who like how many guys would you pick over Jonathan Gresham? Like, yeah, like I, I can't, mean, like I can't, like I can't. What? Let's say like three guys I can think of that you'd be like, okay, like, I want to see Biff. Your, your mileage may vary. You might want to see Zach. But, like, those are the guys I'm thinking of off the top of my head. Jonathan Gresham is the most, like, ring of honor guy that's, like, come around, that's come around and didn't get to wrestle uh, in, the, in, in those peak years. And, like, to see him go out there and have another, like, really great match with Lethal, like, not their best work, but... To make it feel special and have everyone come down and crowd the ring and like Gresham just like keep fighting and keep fighting and he keeps hitting those bayonet elbows, trying to get Jay Lethal to stay down and Jay Lethal, ever the politician, make sure that Jonathan Gresham doesn't kick out of his finish. <laughs> you know, got got to appreciate that. But yeah, for like it wasn't their best work. These guys worked it like really kind of like almost kind of sprint like. They left a lot on the table. Maybe they're thinking they're going to face each other again again someday. Who knows? But this was still treated like a big deal. It felt like a big deal. And it was, like, just really cool to see Jonathan Gresham and, like, know his story, know his history, know everything that's ever gone on with Jonathan Gresham and see him, like, finally get that validation and, like, know that, like, in Ring of Honor is, like, you know, hiatus, that he is, like, the most requested guy. That he can go to New Japan, like, oh, he could have gone to New Japan, like, when the COVID rest- when the COVID restrictions seemed like they were like lightening up, and he could have gone to New Japan and AEW Impact toward the Indies again, started his own thing, GCW, whatever. And Jonathan Gresham was gonna thrive, and it's so cool to see that based off where Jonathan Gresham started in 2011. Yeah. Well, here, here's the question, and this is a question that I don't, I don't know the answer to. So I just, I'll just ask it. I'll just throw it out there. Not based on what they've done. Not based on, like, the rubrics that you have to give when you actually, like, you know, put put the list together for the wrestler of the year. 
But for the greatest, for the best wrestler, bell to bell, in the ring, alive, is Daniel Bryan actually better than Jonathan Gresham when it comes to wrestling? Is Jonathan Gresham the best wrestler alive today? Just when you talk about their specific performance. And I don't know that Jonathan Gresham is not the best wrestler alive today. And that's like, as you talk about this stuff, like that's the real point of this. That is the point of why you say like, who is more ROH than Gresham? The fucking point of ROH from the beginning has always felt like it was about being the best wrestler. And there is no wrestler alive right now who I think is better than Gresham. Like, we talked about D- Brian Danielson and working and, you know, you know the cameras and people paying attention to what he's doing and all that stuff that I talked about, um, which is definitely true. And, like, who he's wrestling against and making the best out of his opponents. But when it comes down to it and just the, like, basic physicality of, of, of himself, like... I think Gresham is the best, might be the best wrestler alive today. And that's why, like, it's so awesome to have him have the ROH championship because that, like I said, that's the point of ROH. ROH is the company where the champion is the best wrestler on the fucking planet. The guy who's actually the best wrestler in the ring. So this was such a phenomenal chance to kind of close that, close that, like, chapter on the wrestling world if you want to if you want to say that like this is this is the end of ROH I don't know if it is or if it's not feels like it could be um but yeah Grisham as the as the top guy there and Grisham continuing to wrestle and and the and the history that we both have with Grisham the the history that we both have with him being such a such a fan of his and 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 such a bolster of him and to continue on from from there and yeah the mix of like the <laughs> jay lethal being a politician like you said he doesn't hit the lethal injection but he hits like a weird variation of it like countering a chokehold into a cutter and oh yeah you know, that, was, that was really that was, really, that was really fucking cool it's like dude do you I remember like do you remember think about 2016 gresham like for like how good he was didn't all we ever hear was about all these like bridges that Gresham was burning? <laughs> yeah, constantly. And then, like you said, now he's the most in-demand motherfucker on the planet. The guy who's, you know, New Japan Strong. Did you watch the the Gabe Kid Jonathan Gresham match from New Japan Strong? I haven't seen. I haven't. I haven't seen any. I haven't seen any of that. I haven't seen the Gresham versus Coglin match. I haven't seen any of that stuff. Yeah. yeah, you have to check this stuff out because Jonathan Gresham. Hold for hold, pound for pound, in ring execution. He's the best wrestler in the world. Like I, I ask it. I don't know because it's not wrestling. Is not just about physicality, right? Like that's kind of the thing about wrestling. But Grisham, when it comes to execution, and like you talked about the physicality, the the way that he's transfer transformed his body, the influence, the influence that Grisham has, like. The UK wrestling scene that was such a big deal in the past like decade, we talked about like how much of that connection do people talk about working with Jonathan Gresham and that making them so much better? There's so many wrestlers 
in England who were influenced by Jonathan Gresham. CCK like, was like CCK was one of the biggest brands in wrestling, and that was fucking Jonathan Gresham. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, John Gresham is such an important wrestler. He's probably the best wrestler alive. Like when it comes to belt to belt in the ring stuff, like and then this this match was just the culmination, the cherry on top for all of that, and he closes it out winning the ROH title. The guy who brought back the per, the pure championship that was a really solid undercard match on this show and then he's moved on from it like yeah he he brought back the pure rules he brought back the the spirit of wrestling he reintroduced people to what wrestling can be over the years and you know, <laughs> the craziest thing is to think that he's a fucking Jakara guy you know like he trained with uh with Mr. Hughes that's like his real basis so he's in uh WWE 4A guy, but he was also a Chikara guy. Like, he's been an everything guy. He's gone all over the world, obviously. But to think of his basis as being Mr. Hughes, which became WWE 4, which became, like, a ton of different wrestlers who people may or may not realize are from there, including, like, Apollo Crews and Austin Theory, who are both big-time, you know, people on WWE. Also, like, AR Fox, Moose in Impact. There's, like, a ton of people who all came from that same school. Um... And then also, like, that he was a Chikara, like, under a mask dude in the, uh, the, uh, oh, God, why can't I think of it? Not the Batiri, but the, uh, the Syrian portal. Oh, Syrian portal. He was part of that crew early on. Then goes to Japan, goes to England, like, really influences England and makes something of it. Fight Club Pro, for me, the earliest Fight Club Pro memories that I have are, or Jonathan Gresham matches. I remember the the earliest Fight Club Pro match I remember was Jonathan Gresham versus uh, uh, Dave Mastiff. I don't know if you ever saw that match, but it was the early Fight Club Pro with the chain link around the fence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like, yeah, it just this guy became like the idea of British wrestling, the idea of German wrestling, WXW, like you were talking about with CCK and Jonathan Gresham wrestling in Ambition and the Triangle League, all that stuff, like. This guy just influenced all of wrestling for the past couple of decades, and uh, dude, I would get so fucking mad pinnacle. whenever I whenever I hear people talk about Jonathan Gresham and just be like, "Oh yeah, he's like a good, he's a good, like a good hand." I would get so fucking mad. <laughs> like, right? Like, like what are you watching that says good hand here? Like, no, what about this says about one of the good hand? In the history of wrestling, you're talking about one of the best wrestlers who's ever existed. You're not talking about a good hand. Yeah, <laughs> it would make me so fucking mad, and that's like even going back to twenty fifteen. People talking about Gresham, I'm like, like no, what, what, what do you mean, good hand? Have you not like seen this guy outside of being like an enhancement talent? Yeah, yeah. People, people have not paid attention to how great he is, how great he has been for so fucking long. And as you talked about, he's transformed his body. The shape that he's in now is scary. I've seen yeah. him live at this point, and he's so fucking big. He's so muscular. He's so... Oh, my God. It's just... It doesn't matter how short he is because you look at how thick he is and how defined his muscles are, and you're just scared of him. And, yeah, like, Jonathan Gresham, one of the greatest of all time, probably the the greatest living wrestler that we have right now. Uh, and uh, he wins the ROH title, and we move on from there. <laughs> Quentin, what, uh, what are your final thoughts on final battle it was a really enjoyable really enjoyable show and like 
it accomplished everything that it needed to do. It like set people up on paths to like have success in the time which Ring of Honor is gone. It set up like matches that people are gonna want to see, like FTR and Briscoes and Roxy vs. Diana Perazzo. I'm intrigued to see where the freedom narrative thing goes. And like, you know, against my better against my better judgment. And like ultimately I'm just like really happy I watched it and like to see how much everyone put into that show. Like it really it really does stick with you. Like it's not the best show of the year. But it's probably one of the ones when I think of 2021 wrestling. Like, other than, like, you know, like, the AEW stuff, like, All Out or Full Gear, which I thought were, like, great shows. That this is going to be, like, the other one where I'm, like, when I think of 2021 wrestling, I'm definitely going to think about Final Battle. Yeah. No, yeah, that's definitely a great way to put it. It's not, it's not just a blip on the radar. It's definitely something that's going to be remembered and it should be remembered. It's a high watermark for ROH, for modern ROH. Oh, we didn't, we didn't um, even talk about the fucking, like, testimonials from, like, former ROH, from the ROH alumni. Yeah. We didn't even talk about, like, seeing, AEW like... AEW stars, y- yeah. Yeah, like, Punk, Punk and Danielson and Cole and, uh, and all these guys. And I was like, dang, this would, this fucking sucks that, like, we can't get, like, a Generico video. Or, I like, Steen or whatever. Like, oh, like, yeah. Yeah, that, that like, goes like, oh, man, Tyler that sucks. Black. Yeah, like that would like that would have been that would have been cool, yeah. but like still, like what we got, like the testimonials that we got were like were were, were really cool, and you could like see like like Punk, even though he admitted like I'm not like you know I'm still kind of like you know catching up to speed on wrestling. Like this is like that's like still like really fucking him up that he has to say this. Like yeah, like this it's, it's, it was a lot, and like I said, like it's a really good show. But I think a lot of it is rooted in nostalgia. I think like me and you both have for this company, and it's like, you know, we've seen Ring of Honor have some really, really bad shows. We've seen Ring of Honor have some great shows in the last like ten years or whatever. And like, this is a really good show to go out on for the time being. And like, hopefully it comes back. If we're like reading through the tea leaves, it everyone sounds like they're not very optimistic about what's happening. But like, if this was the end, it was a really good show to go out on. Yeah. Definitely a, uh, definitely a solid final show, and uh, we just hope we move forward into some more positive things. But Glinton, we went way longer than we should have. Uh, uh, this isn't so, bad. Yeah. It was not terrible. Yeah, but, but yeah, but you got like a wife and stuff, so you gotta go. <laughs> so, uh, ah. so thank you all. She so was... thank you all. For- Go ahead. She was doing her thing. Either way, thank you all for listening. You know, go go for it. <laughs> yeah, thank you all for listening, and uh, hope you're next time. Baby, come and have a blast with me. Do everything I say like your majesty. Fuck with the gang and it be a tragedy. Fuck with my shooters, they in the back with me.
I should call a reverend Having horns on an angel Still haven't learned my lesson uh, We're a mess in our lives are right Hey, toxic, toxic, toxic The most beautiful things grow old and start rotting I should've turned away when I found out you were demonic Let's be honest, you're the devil's daughter Say hey to your father uh, He owe me twenty dollars Run through hell with like 20 hundred choppers. We gon' give them hell when I put that on my mama. Me and Trippy Red Bullin' back in the Bahamas. Baby, come and have a blast with me. Do everything I say like your majesty. Fuck with the gang and it be a tragedy. Fuck with my shooters, they in the back with me. Thank you.